Hey guys, welcome to Masters of the Game. Today's guest is Andrew Kulozos, partner and sales manager at Barry Plant in Taylor's Lakes. From humble beginnings in Melbourne's West, he has gone from the young 19-year-old in property management to sales cadet and now has risen through the ranks to the point where he is now the number three performer in the entire Barry Plant network. A true rags to riches story. Andrew? Welcome to Masters of the Game. Branko, uh, thank you very much for uh, having me on your podcast, mate. It's been fantastic to listen to everyone that you've had on and, um, yeah, much appreciated and, and look forward to this chat. Mate, yours, yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for the kind words. But your story is uh, truly extraordinary and, um, yeah, I can't wait to, to share it with everyone, to be perfectly honest. So welcome to the show. A credit to you, mate. All your tech here, mate, is unbelievable, <laughs> mate. So uh, it is incredible what you have done, mate. You're and, pumping uh, up my tyres nah, now. No, mate, you, you deserve a pump up, mate. So uh, well done. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. You grew up in a working class Greek family uh, in uh, in Melbourne's West. Um, yeah. Tell us about your story. Tell us about your upbringing, where you went to school, um, how you grew up, where you grew up, uh, mum, dad, siblings. Yeah. yeah. I'd love to hear the background to the Andrew story. Yeah, um, look, very similar to George, um, and he was on here a couple of weeks ago, I think it was, and grew up in St Albans. Uh, Mum and dad migrated from Cyprus. Um, dad was around 21, 1970-80, shortly thereabouts, he came to, to, to Melbourne and landed in uh, beautiful St Albans. Um, his sister was already here, and um, a few of his cousins and et cetera, uncles and whatnot. And uh, mum also kind of followed a couple of years later. She was only about 16, 17 when she arrived and um, she only had an uncle here. So not a massive family for, for her because all her um, siblings were still in, in Cyprus. Um, her dad unfortunately passed away when she was young and they um, sent to, said to my brother, listen, I think it's probably best for you to, you know, have a better upbringing for, for yourself. Mm. And, um, and she already had a few health complications, even at an early age, she had um, issues with her heart, so it was probably better to um, come to okay. Australia for medical reasons as well. Her dad passed away with a heart attack um, early age, around 40, and um, and I think it was one of those things that, you know what, better to have great medical facilities and mm. um, come to Australia, so she did. And um, obviously, you know, through the arrangement marriages back then, she uh, met my dad through um, through family and Mum um, and dad um, met, of course. Mum fell pregnant very quickly to, to my sister, who's four years older than myself, and stayed with um, my dad's sister in St Albans in a little, you know, a little bungalow there um, until my dad had enough money to, to save up for the deposit for, for his own home. And obviously, um, my mum was pregnant at that time as well. So finally, my dad um, did save the deposit uh, with the help of an uncle, actually. My uncle. Um, or his uncle actually, um, he was already a builder in St Albans. He built many, many properties in St mm. Albans. And instead of going direct to a bank back then with high interest rates, they borrowed money off this uncle, right? And um, as, as a young kid, actually, I remember, you know, this uncle coming over to my, my parents' house with this little black book thinking, what's he doing here? 
every single like week, if that makes sense. But they're actually paying the mortgage back off this gentleman, um, my uncle, right? Um, borrowed a little bit off the bank, but most of it was was through him. And um, so yeah, so he obviously bought this home in in, uh, in St Albans. Um, they obviously had my sister Aria, um, four years older than myself, as I mentioned. Had to extend the house, this little three bedroom or well, two bedroom bungalow, anyway. Uh, extended the home to obviously we all had a bedroom each because we used to live in the little uh, family area and there was only one little bedroom and that little family area was next to the kitchen <laughs> and that's where we we slept we had no like bedroom if that makes sense yeah, just right. my, you know, my parents Bit main tight. bedroom the little little tight yeah so um, they finally after many years they extended the uh, little bungalow then me and my sister finally had a, a, a room each um, and that's basically where we lived until many, many years later, I uh, went to school in St Albans, called St Albans Primary. Um, that was my primary school days. Um, lots of fun, um, just about a, a K from my property. And um, and Dad was a diesel mechanic, so he woke up in the morning very, very early um, and hardly saw Dad, actually, when I was a, a young kid because he'd wake up in the morning, typically at four in the morning, leave to go to work at five and didn't return home till whatever time you know work was done basically and um diesel mechanics back then were, were, were was a really hard job so pay wasn't really great at that point of time and um and obviously mum had my sister and myself so she couldn't really work full time she had part-time jobs um many part-time jobs it was you know once at nike at the factory and then at sakata and etc so just whatever she can do just to make a bit more of a wage to help dad um so you know through primary school i used to have like a babysitter after after school just to get mum to work uh, a little bit longer uh, hours to make some more cash and um and help dad but yeah dad was just always working you know the real um, workhorse by the sounds of it yeah yeah he, he was and you know at sometimes he used to bring the truck <laughs> funny story he used to sometimes bring the trucks home from from work because he just they had to say listen andrew i think it's time for you to go home but Dad was always, you know, if he had to get a job done, he would get a job done, no matter what time it was. So he used to be in trucks home. And I remember I was probably, I don't know, five, six years old. And Dad would bring the truck home. And in, in our house in St Albans, it wasn't big. So the backyard was huge, basically. And we had this long driveway. And he could fit a semi-trailer if they want, if he wanted to, right? So sometimes he did. So he'd reverse the <laughs> truck back. And there wasn't, it, you know, we lived in St Albans. It was East Esplanade. It was, it was a main road, but it wasn't a busy street back then because, you know, there wasn't many houses and et cetera. He used to get me out of the house or in, from the house and say, Andrew, I think you need to come and help me. I used to get on this truck and have to hold, like, for example, at one stage, a sump of a truck while my dad was had to, you know, empty out the oil or whatever he was doing back then, Right. Uh, because he needed a hand. And my mum would look at him saying, are you crazy? Like, it's like almost midnight, whatever time it was. And my dad goes, oh, well, it's okay. He's in good hands, kind of thing. Basically telling my mum, go back inside the house. It's the next get done, right? And um, he was just working and he was always loyal because if something had to get done, he just did it. No matter what time and what day it was, he just wanted to make the commitment to his bosses to show, listen, I'll do whatever I need to do to help you. Because he was concerned if he didn't do it, he'd lose his job. Yeah. Because um, my dad, um, you know, coming from overseas, English was not, you know, on, on, on his side, basically. And he was very hard to understand. He always mumbled his words. Um, and basically, you know, he had to really um, show his, his bosses that his work ethic was going to get him over the line um, purely and simply because that's all he had. He, he couldn't really demonstrate um, exactly um, how to – what to say um, to his bosses. Mm. He had to just show them. 
And then high school came along and um, I went to a school called Tialba. It wasn't um, the greatest school, um, um, unfortunately, but I only went there because my sister went there and um, my uncle, my cousins went there as well. So my mum and dad just sent me to this school, Kialba. And um, the one thing that, that I suppose that taught me was really just um, street smarts um, because it wasn't a really a school for education. Um, sometimes we'd never had teachers. Um, sometimes, uh, oh, not sometimes, one, one time um, our English teacher, we didn't have an English teacher for like almost a term or semester. Um, they, they promised us they'll have teachers come in and, and obviously fill their spots and et cetera. It never, never happened because no teacher wanted to actually come and teach oh, at our wow. school. So there was a no, no go zone for teachers. They were really, well, really aware of it. Yeah. So basically, if you got expelled, you'd come to Kialba. And if you got expelled from Kialba, there's no other school for you, basically, it's right? really toughened you up, eh? Yeah. And it was just really dangerous. So the one thing that kept me out of um, everyone's way was basically um, the round ball, which was soccer. Um, you know, I played sport my, my whole life as a, as a youngster from the early age of five, six years old. And um, to this day, my, my dad, um, you know, he, he thought I was going to be like the, the biggest star in the whole world <laughs> because um, back in the day, um, Big Sam, the market in St. Albans, you know, as a, as a young kid, I used to go shop with my dad. And at one time, my dad got pulled over by this, apparently, this, this Irish soccer guru, right, and said to my dad, your dad, your son needs to play soccer. He's going to be a gun one day, whatnot, because I was kicking tomatoes up and down the aisles. That's all I used to do, right? Apparently, anyway. So my dad um, sent me down to Grand Gully and at the age of five or six years old and, and, and played soccer. But my dad did everything he could to make sure that he gave me the best opportunity to, to play soccer. You know, luckily with, with, a strict, parent, with strict parents, my mum my would always be at school pickup at 10 past three, and if I wasn't there at you know ten past three, she'd call my dad and forget about if I if I went home and mm-hmm. um, and he'd basically tell me, mate, it's ten past three, no later, because he knew, uh, which was which thank God he did, that all the other kids they used to go to someone else's house or cause grief on the street or anything like that. So um, so luckily, you know, um, you know, with, with a lot of discipline from my dad, I had no choice but to from basically last class straight mm. straight into the car. And, um, and then I had soccer training, et cetera, which kept me out of you know trouble. So if I had to go to someone's house or got invited to a mate's house or whatnot, I said, unfortunately, I've got training, I've got to go, you know. So that discipline um, structure at home sort of gave you uh, a little bit of a path out of, out of the potentially troubled path that yeah. potentially could have been really by the sounds of it from uh, the, the other kids that maybe were – yeah, let's call it a bad influence. Yeah, 100%. And look, to this day, look, there's a couple of the boys that um, we keep in t- contact with from uh, with school, but all of them, because they had a soccer, soccer background or they played sport or whatnot, but majority of them were, were purely and simply there just to have fun. There was no learning through through school. Teachers back then did as much as they could, I, I think, and again, um, not going through a lot of education myself and not really paying a lot of attention through school. Can I just ask, you said before, um, Dad... Dad's English wasn't the best. Yeah. Um, what was Mum's like? Was was Mum good with English or no? And just uh, out of curiosity, what what language did you speak at home? Uh, we we spoke. Look, we, we spoke a lot of English because my mum and dad were trying to learn English. Okay. Um, so instead of typically speaking, you know, Cypriot or Greek or yep. whatnot, 
mum and dad were really trying to learn English. So as much as they could, yeah. they were talking English. And are you fluent in, in Greek and Cypriot? Um, no, I'm not because we didn't speak a lot at home. So okay. I could understand everything. Um, so so it's someone, mixed. mixed. Yeah, yeah, yeah mixed. Yeah, so if someone speaks to me in Greek or Cypriot, I can understand, but I can't uh, relay back because yeah, okay. um, one, I'm embarrassed to sometimes. <laughs> um, I remember when I'm going back to Cyprus, they used to call me, oh, look at this Turkish boy, right? Because obviously <laughs> that's what they used to say. I'm like, no, it's just obviously I wasn't that great in, in, in talking Cypriot. Right, because obviously back then you got the t- Turkish side and Cypriot side, as you know, mm-hmm. Branko. Um, so I used to call me the Turkish English boy, but you know, trying to be Cypriot, right? Um, at the time when you were sort of finishing school, it sounds like school wasn't something you wanted to really focus on too much, or it wasn't something that, that well, I guess floated your boat. Um, did you ever want to become a mechanic like that, or was there what was what was something that was um, uh, a guiding light for you as far as choice of career when you yeah. were a young bloke? Put it this way. When Dad left Cyprus, he'd done this apprenticeship in Cyprus in the, in the army and did diesel mechanic um, apprenticeship and then went to Greece before he came to Australia. His dad was a mechanic and his dad's dad was a mechanic and his dad's dad dad was a mechanic. So as, as a kid, he was like, well, you're going to become a mechanic. As soon as you finish school, we'll get you an apprenticeship and et cetera. Back then, it was Westgate before it got bought out by Linfox. So I did all my, you know, um, school holidays with Dad at, at Westgate, basically. So school holidays came. I was never at home because obviously that's where trouble was was going to occur. If I was going to be at home, they meant to catch up with mates and etc. My dad never took that risk. So um, if my mum could take could not take time off work, well then, unfortunately, I'll be with Dad at, at basically Westgate. So everything was was pretty aiming for me to become a mechanic. Yeah, sounds like it. Um, but I just didn't, I didn't like it. No. And I knew what dad had to go through. Um, I didn't like, like not the hard work of the hours and et cetera, obviously it was more so he was underneath a truck the whole day and he had oil all over him the whole time. So my dad's hands, I like, my dad's a big man, six foot three, he's huge. And he's got these big bare hands and he's just a scary looking man, but he's got a heart of gold. Right. But Anyway, and I was like, I just don't want to do that. I don't want to be underneath mm. the truck fixing whatever I need to fix. So that never um, it was something that I actually cared about. Like, yeah. you know, I, I don't even with cars growing up and etc. Didn't fascinate me because mm. I think knowing how hard my dad had to work to provide for us because he was a diesel mechanic, it turned me off. Yeah. So I, I had no um, interest at all. But he did everything I can. So straight out from school, from year ten, year eleven. He tried to get me um, like a pre-apprenticeship, um, so um, at Caterpillar, basically. Mm-hmm. And that was um, obviously one of the um, – because that was trying to get into into, into that business. But, um, yeah, basically Westgate was never going to let my dad leave because, again, they couldn't replace him. So um, every time he was going to leave, they obviously offered him a better package, so to speak. Um, but that's where my dad wanted me to work because he knew it was a lot more cleaner environment, et cetera. The pay was apparently better. I have no idea, but – I went there and I was sitting, you know, my uncle um, sent me to do the test and I was up, cat. I just left. I just said, I just, I was in there for maybe 10 minutes. I'm like, this is not for me. It's not for me, you know. So I I literally got up and and I left. I went in the car. My uncle's like, oh, that was quick. Oh, yeah, I aced it. Like I I did everything I could in like 10 minutes, right? And he knew that there's no chance I could do that, right? So, and then, um, and that was really it. And then I think it just faded out. My dad probably can see that I didn't want to do it. Um, I understand you had early in your life, you, from a work standpoint, you did a Sparky apprenticeship. Yeah. So um, <laughs> my Sparky apprenticeship, and oh, I was borrowing my mum's car. At, um, she had a Ford EL, 
And funny story, Branko, no one probably knows this, but I lost my license. So I was driving around unlicensed for a year um, because I, I lost my license, my, 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 you know, speeding or whatever it was. And um, I had to work though. So I couldn't use my car because obviously it was, un, you know, obviously under my name. So I used my mum's car. As I was fading out from soccer, I started hitting the gym. So, um, you know, I'm six foot tall, but I started getting from about, you know, 75 kilos and immediately went to about 95 because I was doing that properly as well. Um, so from, from soccer, I'm like, well, I'll hit the gym because my mates were hitting the gym as well. And um, I thought I'll do it, but I'll do it properly. But I didn't know what properly meant. I was mm. just, I'm going to do it, yeah. you know, and go there. I'm going to try my best to become whatever I, I was trying to become. I had no idea at that time. But I enjoyed it. I loved it. It was another, um, you know, point where I can just go there and train and just do me time, if that basically makes sense. And I didn't know where I was going to head towards my career. Uh, but I did my Sparky course and I did as much as I can to to enjoy it. But, um, yeah, it got to, to points where I wasn't because we were doing new builds um, and, uh, you know, roughings and you know, new properties, et cetera. But then we were also doing um, older, you know, renovations and et cetera. So at one stage we were out in St Kilda and it was an old weatherboard home and my boss at the time said, well, you've got to go on the roof. It was 40 degrees or something like that. And and I'm trying to get in the roof and, and, and you know, I'm inside the roof now and it's hot and, you know, there's just – it's old, right? It's an old building, so there's dust everywhere. It's just, oh, my God, I'm thinking, myself, what am I doing here, right? And um, and it wasn't that I was lazy. It was just – it was just – for me, it was uncomfortable, right? Because I was – you know, it was just a small space – and you had to, you know, obviously um, try and hit the timber because obviously if you didn't hit that, you would fall through the plaster. Mm. So I had to be very, very careful for that to happen as well. And um, and I was like, no, nah, this is this is not. Did you ever fall through? Me. Uh, nah, I had close, I had close <laughs> calls where I had to grab, had to grab another piece of timber and etc. Without falling through, but I did get close. But it was one of those things where luckily I didn't because who knows what happened. But it gives you an appreciation for what people do, doesn't it? A hundred percent. It definitely showed me appreciation and, and it showed me that unfortunately, like, you know, some people have got these these jobs that are a lot harder than what I'm currently doing now. Um, and it was never that I said I didn't want to work hard in, in becoming a, a, a full-time mm. um, electrician. It just wasn't me. It was, yeah. it was boring. You know, I was always, as a kid, um, bubbly and, and talking and no matter the age of the person, I'd always ask questions. Um, oh, what do you do? You know, I was always fascinated mm. about, you know, that person and just being like – I was always hurt, if that makes sense, yeah. right? And um, going back to maybe school just quickly, I remember my first – um, my first class of year seven, you know, the orientation. Yep. You know, because even through primary school, I used to get told off for talking too much. And I remember my first class of year orientation, it was year seven. The teacher had to pull me aside and, and basically say, I think you should actually shut up. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, why? And she goes, you talk so much. And I'm like, I'm like, yeah, because I want to know, and 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 like, I wanted to get to know all the kids in the class. I, I wanted to find out who they were, and you know, obviously, new new school, new kids, and like, who are these people? Like, what do I need to know about them? And just trying to make new friends. So, um, Sparky for me was always alone. You know, my boss would go out somewhere else, and I'd have to sit in the in in that in the house or renov- or renovations or you know, new roughing builds and etc. And I'd be by myself. The music would be pumping. But it was just me, mm. and I had no one to talk to, so I just found it boring, yeah. and um, it just wasn't for me. 
we all fall into real estate. Yep. Let's be honest. There's hardly any of us that say, hey, guess what? I want to be an estate agent from an early age. Um, what was your path to getting into the industry? What was the very first uh, memory that you have of um, getting into real estate from a, sounds like from a young age as a 19 year old? Yeah. Um, I fell in, into real estate purely and simply. I was just driving one day and I was in the car and then the radio was on and um, Barry Plant have um, these nights that you can come out and, and, and hear a, a bunch of real estate agents talk and say why get into real estate basically. And uh, Oh yeah, like a careers night. A careers night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, and I thought to myself, well, yeah, look, I'll give it a shot. And um, I went to the careers night and, um, and, and, and the gents, Tony Larkin, and uh, Mike McCarthy, I think it was back then as well, but Tony, gentleman still to this day, um, always reaches out. So, Tony, if you're listening, thank you. Um, you know, we had to all speak about why we were there that, that night. Um, and I got up and, as I did, kept talking. So <laughs> I didn't shut up. And, and I was like, I don't know what to say. So I just talked and, and basically said what, who I am and et cetera. And I was only about 18, 19 years old. And then the, the night finished and Tony came up to me and said, um, where are you from? Where do you live? I said, I live in St. Albans. He goes, what are you doing here? I'm like, I don't know. I just rocked up because that's what I heard on the radio, right? And he goes, no, nah, this is for the, the Coburg, you know, Preston branch kind of careers night, right? He goes, but listen, I'll reach out to the St. Albans guys um, and they might be looking for, um, you know, a, a new person to start. I'm like, oh, great. So John Aaron gave me a call, um, coming in how many weeks later, said, um, apparently looking to get into real estate. I'm like, yeah, no problems. Um, he goes, do you want to have a, have a meeting? I'm like, no problems. Where, where is the office? I've no idea about real estate. So I've got no clue about property. I've got no clue about real estate. What does it involve? Parents bought one house, stayed there, and that was it, right? So they never bought investment properties and et cetera. So I didn't understand anything about real estate. Four interviews later, um, I finally got the job. The problem is I only had one suit and that was only because obviously if I went to a funeral, I had that black one suit, right? So, you know, one shirt, one suit, and that was it. And the thing is I had to hide that from my parents because my parents didn't know I was leaving, you know, um, to become a sparky, to become, you know, into real estate. So I had to be very secretive about that, right? So because um, dad would have been like, what are you doing? Quitty. Like my dad wasn't quit. If you're going to do it, do it, Right. Anyway, so so I didn't understand why um, John at that stage needed so many interviews, right? Because I was like, how many interviews? How many times do I have to meet with this person, right? And, um, and finally, um, John said, yep, you got the gig. Fantastic. Um, he goes, but you're not going to work in St. Albans. You're going to work in Taylor's Lakes. I'm like, okay, no problems, right? Now, I didn't venture out much around St. Albans. Like, I had very few friends um, growing up apart from, you know, uh, through my soccer mates and et cetera, but they lived – you know, in different suburbs as well. So um, caught up with uh, with Jim and Sam Laspina and um, basically they said, listen, you're going to work in this office and you'll become the leasing manager. And I met the current leasing, uh, the, the leasing manager at that point of time was um, a, a, a gentleman who was going to become an associate for for uh, for Lass, um, who then I became an associate for. And then I realised that they were taking their time because obviously Alka was transitioning to become Lass's PA. Okay. So I realised that's probably why the delay was there um, in regards to meeting John um, a few times. So, um, yeah, took um, Alka's job, that was his name, and he trained me for a couple of weeks and um, I became the leasing manager. 
Um, and the training was, was quite interesting. It was quite funny. Um, many funny stories, but, um, yeah. And, and the rest, rest was the rest history. Is, rest is history. Yeah. Um, you mentioned, um, you know, going through property, the property management division, um, really early in the piece. And can I just ask you, do you think from a career progression standpoint, uh, property management is a, a really good place for many agents to start, whether you're looking at property management as a, as a career or whether you're looking at sales? A lot of our opinions in real estate from from seniors and senior leadership and whatnot is it's a great place to start. You learn the ropes of, of real estate full stop, yeah. uh, the value of hard work. You learn the area really well. Uh, what's your view on uh, starting in property management in a career? Yeah, I, I definitely think that gave me a, a huge understanding um, of the early fundamentals about real estate, which is just people. Um, you know how to um, deal with them um, with real estate needs because um, again I was no issues talking to people and, 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 and saying hey my name's Andrew kind of thing I was never shy um, but you have to understand what real estate's all about you know if they're asking you questions etc so leasing was always the, the easiest uh, for me I think a, a real big big step in my career moving forward and I met some really really important people through my leasing career like even one of my uh, one of the biggest developers in, in the in, in the area um, I met him through leasing out his properties and um, he owns uh, many properties within the local area and he did a development in Sydney and um, one of his first developments that he did um, he owns reception centers and etc but he's done this development I think he just you know started this new um, new venture of his career and uh, gone development built this um, you know about 20 20 townhouses and we had to lease them out and um, he gave the business to our firm and I leased them out in no matter time it, they were all leased out um, pretty much instantly and he loved that I was working because you know other agents that he was probably speaking to and etc just said oh yeah we'll lease them out but they took their time. There was no urgency and et cetera. But I got taught, if you're going to do it, do it properly. So any inquiry came through, immediately went out to show the properties, et cetera. So we leased them out pretty much immediately. So he was he was wrapped. And until this day, um, you know, uh, me and that gentleman there, we, we speak every single week. And I've sold many properties for him in the past. Now, it's hard work, um, like any builder at his league um, level, but he trusts me. Um, and, 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 I, and I, I love that I met him through my early days of real estate. So, you know, 13 years later, he's still one of my biggest clients. Great lesson. Uh, great lesson. And, um, and I think Leeson also taught me, um, again, the, the backbone of, of real estate, the questions that you're going to get asked on a daily basis, um, and really just handling objections as well because in leasing and property management, you get a lot of those on a daily basis. To, to this day, it's one of the hardest jobs you could actually do, mm-hmm. uh, especially, you know, dealing with tenants and landlords, um, especially the last couple of years, I think about during COVID, imagine property managers, those that stress levels, right? Oh, yeah. Um, and, and, and definitely was a, a great step up to, to get into sales, 100%. It's an unforgiving industry, that's for sure, and that's, yeah. why, that's why I ask. It's, uh, generally speaking, a, a really good launching pad for most people's careers. Yeah. Um, they may not seem or may not think it initially, uh, but once they're in it, and like you're saying, once you reflect, uh, you realise the things that you're learning along the way are incredibly valuable. Uh, mate, I watched something recently that um, that sort of suggested that it, that sometimes it's a trauma, a failure, a setback, um, you know, some of some monumental disappointment in our life that we that we achieve or, or not achieve, but that happens to us. Uh, often is a starting point for for a lot of people. Something that causes you know adverse reaction. Um, creates that you know that chip on our shoulder, that drive, 
that hunger, that competitive drive, the you know that, that fire that burns inside us. Yeah. What I want to know from you, um, we've already I've already picked up on it during you know during this during this chat already. Talk me through some of the roadblocks and challenges and you know emotional drivers that you've had to overcome um, to sort of get to where you are, uh, whether it's early in life um, or, or whether it's in the estate agency side of things in sale. Really, the question I'm asking you: Why do you want it so bad? Um, it all stemmed from early days because, again, through school, um, you know, I remember a teacher, you know, to this day that said to me, you're not going to do anything in life, basically, right? So, and, and I was like, what do you mean? Because she, you know, could see me, I wasn't really paying attention and et cetera, but I didn't find anything in industry. It was not interesting because what we got taught was there was basically nothing, you know, it wasn't anything that, well, in my, in my opinion, but maybe again, I wasn't, paying that much attention but mm. we had a lot of distractions with other kids and etc so so basically um you know i'm in this class and i was doing what i was doing and, and i was probably doing something or talking to a mate of mine or whatever the case might be but for a teacher to come up to you at, at early stage and basically say to you yeah you're not going to do anything in your life you know when you grow up and you're like well no it's not the case because I, I already knew i could work hard and I wasn't a bad kid. I, I never followed any of the other kids' footsteps and et cetera because I, I just couldn't afford that because my dad would, would literally, um, who knows what he'll do, mm. right? Um, and I was really scared of, of my dad. So mm. I thought, well, I have to be a good kid at, at the very, very least mm. um, and pay respects to my teachers and go to school, do what I'm going to do, then come home. Otherwise, again, dad would literally um, probably get the whip out, et cetera, <laughs> right? Which he did many times. But you know, um, that was really the hunger because I, I thought to myself, well, you know, going through school and, and hearing that from teachers um, was like, no, well, I, I am going to do something and whatever it's going to be, I'll, I'll do my absolute best. Let's change gears. Let's get stuck into uh, some real estate. Uh, you're an incredibly high performer um, in our industry, uh, not just in your area, not just in your company, um, but right throughout Victoria. Um, you seem to be someone that, uh, once again, from this discussion and from my time with you that I've known you, uh, you've got a thirst for knowledge, you've got a thirst for wanting to get better. Um, you're good at extracting, it seems to me, yeah. uh, actionable ideas out of whatever it is that you're learning, whether it's soccer, whether it's uh, anything that you're doing, and you want to become the best at it. And you've said the same thing with real estate, and you se- seem to be really effective at, at implementing most importantly, those things. So I would assume uh, you're going to think that you're a, a really good implementer of the things that you learn. Two questions I've got for you. What level of training have you put yourself through um, to, to get to this point, number one? Uh, and number two, how much do you invest in yourself from a personal development standpoint, uh, both in terms of, you know, let's call it time, time-wise and, and also in, in a financial sense? Again, as you know, you've interviewed Jim before as well. Um, he was really the backbone of who I am today. And, and and Jim always gave me a roadmap in regards to what to do, when to do it, and, and et cetera. And um, we always sat down and, and discussed a plan um, in terms of when I got out with Lass. Lass was my, um, you know, my, my boss at that time. I was working under Lass. And then obviously um, I went on my own. And, and basically, Jim basically sat down with me and said, okay, this is what you need to do. Um, you need to talk to more people and just build relationships. And I was only, you know, 21, 22 at the age. So the trust factor with all the clients weren't 
you know, at a higher level because I was walking into lounge rooms and I was younger than their children, if that makes sense. So I had to show those clients that the one thing that I had was was basically work ethic and, and product knowledge. And I always told the truth. I always told them if they wanted to hear a high range in terms of price point, I never did. I lost a lot of business at my early days because I was too honest in terms of price. You know, you get the old Europeans, oh, no, we got told we were going to get 500000 and you're telling me only three fifty. And then, you know, months later, they'll sell for three fifty, And that would hurt. But, you know, Jim always said, don't focus on that right now. Just focus on building relationships. Focus on building your core network and knowing that network very, very, very well. Um, and, and implement things like marketing, right? And back then, you know, the internet was good, but the local paper was critical to, to advertising, and I would advertise all my properties in a local in a local paper more than any agent in the area. What, in what way? What was the difference that you were doing? Size ads. Size ads. Size, okay. So even in my team, you know, Jim used to harp on this all the time saying, why don't you guys get vendor paid advertising? Which obviously means the vendor would pay for the advertising in the local paper, which therefore would advertise you. And um, I just did it. So basically I went to a listing and presentation and they said, we're going to sell the home. So go through a whole process. And I believed in marketing though. I already knew how important it was because Jim told me how important it was in regards to marketing the home, right? And if the home's getting more eyeballs, well, then obviously you're going to get more eyeballs just because people look at the local paper and that's all That's all they did. And we worked in areas like Tellers Lakes and Keele Downs. You know, St. Albans was local and, um, you know, it was an older demographic area. So the older people generally picked up the local paper. They didn't look online. So even though I was young, that all they could see is, is my name in the local paper and basically no one else. So I had, you know, two or three pages of listings in the local paper, at that point of time. Um, and, and that basically, you know, set, set me off really, really well. Um, so I imp- implemented that in, from a marketing pr- perspective. And then, as you know, Branko, from a social media point of view as well. I'll touch on that a bit later because I, yeah. I think you do some some things extraordinarily well. And uh, I'm curious to pick your brain um, and, and share that with, uh, with the listeners. Um, as far as your numbers, I asked you the other day to um, share with me your numbers. Uh, in, in real estate terms, numbers are sort of the marker of, I guess, how well you're doing uh, internally. Yeah. Um, numbers don't mean a lot to uh, the consumer, but uh, in our industry, they are sort of a marker of how good, how good a performer you are, I guess. So um, just if you don't mind me just sharing some of these things uh, that, that you shared with me the other day. So um, from year one to year eight, the trajectory – uh, that you've been on, uh, just so people understand. And then I'd like to ask you, just some of those junctures, what, what's caused some of those jumps. Um, year one, $360,000 of GCI written, um, no PA working essentially as yourself. Year two, um, you had somebody put on uh, to help you as a, as a assistant PA, um, five, 563. Uh, year three, seven fifty three with a with a full time PA, and this is now really where your career takes off. Uh, year four, nine ninety three. Year five, you become a million dollar writer, uh, just over a million dollars, a million and forty nine. Year six, one point one and a bit, and then there's a big jump to year seven. You hit one point eight million dollars in fees, and then year eight, uh, which is just the most recent year that's gone, uh, writing two point one seven million dollars in fees. Now, for those estate agents listening to this. They'll understand what what kind of an extraordinary feat that is. Some offices 
uh, some offices across Melbourne, entire offices don't write that amount of business that you write as an estate agent. There's a lot that goes into the making of a highly successful estate agent or a, or a high performer in our industry. Uh, as you well know, there are scripts, there are dialogues, there's mindset, team structures, support from business owners, um, support at home um, from you know wife, husband, uh, kids, mums, dads. Um, there's fitness, there's diet, there's, there's a whole bunch of stuff. Right? Your burning desire to succeed, which you clearly have, not everybody's got that. Um, you know, there are mentors, there are support mechanisms, there's a whole bunch of stuff. Let me ask you, Andrew, which elements do you think, looking at your trajectory and just some of those numbers, I mean, you know your numbers well, uh, which elements have moved the needle the most for you uh, when it comes to career progression um, and writing the significant figures that you have? Um, in essence, what I'm asking you is what are the elements that you have mastered as an estate agent to sit in the seat that you're sitting now writing the amount of business that you write today? Um, oh, the old saying is work ethic. I think that's number one, and just to know that you have to work hard in the early stages. Um, and obviously, two is honesty, right? Um, number one, purely and simply, I, I, I had because I had no other choice. I didn't want to let my parents down. Um, you know, obviously failing because my dad obviously wanted me to become a diesel mechanic. So I really failed him in, in doing that. Um, even though, you know, I know he tried his absolute best for me to become this soccer player that I wanted to become. Um, that obviously never happened and diesel mechanic never happened either. So becoming a real estate agent was like no one in the family ever became a real estate agent. So it wasn't something that he ever, ever thought of, right? And my dad probably hated real estate agents, who knows, right? Um, and so I, I wanted to make sure I could keep my parents proud. That was number one. Um, and I always thought, well, I don't want to fail in this and, 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 and fail, obviously, my, my dad and, and obviously my mum. So my work ethic was always going to be there. Um, as I mentioned before, no matter what I did, I was going to work harder at it, work hard at it. And, um, and Jim... As as you know, um, in my opinion, everyone everyone has their has a view, but I strongly believe that ninety percent of people that know Jim would think that he's the best real estate agent in Australia, not just you know locally, because he's he's a superstar at what he does because he he worked hard himself, as we heard on your po- podcast previously, but everyone loves him because he's honest and he provides advice as a friend, not as a as I said back then, typical real estate agent, right? Which I think that's why Jim succeeded because he wasn't a typical real estate agent in his early days. He just looked at, um, you know, clients or people and said, I'm going to help you transition from, you know, buying to selling or selling to buying, whatever the, whatever their needs were. So I think Jim was just really good at asking questions um, to be able to assist those those people. And then, you know, I, I got told this by Jim and Jim gave me many stories about how he had to work in his early days and said, this is all you need to do. I had to go and do all this because there was no emails, there was no, you know, um, you know, no phones and et cetera. We had to drive to everyone's home to see if they were actually there. We didn't actually know if they were there. We had to wait for them to come home. And, and Andrew, you just have a mobile phone and all you're going to do is, is connect with people through this mobile phone um, and you can drive to someone's house and say, hey, I'm going to come pop over for a coffee or whatever the case might be, just say hello, right? Just build relationships. And and that's what Jim basically told me to do, just build relationships with your clients and the rest will take care of itself. 
So I was very lucky, you know, working under Lass as an assistant for a couple of years. And, and Lass, Lass was a great mentor because obviously he, 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 um, he guided me through, you know, uh, sharing these listings with him, getting my name um, out there. Me and Lass did very, very well. Lass was a, a top 10 performer in the, in, in the um, Barry Platt network, network for many, many years. So I was very grateful and lucky to, to work alongside him and, and have my name out there in the public as well. So we were selling, you know, back then it's probably 60 to 80 homes per year or, or thereabouts. It was quite a high number, um, especially as a local agent tell us likes is not working in, in mm. you know, high, um, you know, dollar figure lo- location. So, you know, back then we were selling four or $500 homes, you know, not even probably. So uh, we had to do a lot of transactions and, and last just worked hard. Um, I remember as an assistant, and this is why I try my best to explain to, you know, other people that come through, um, through real estate is that we just never stopped. Um, and that might sound bad, but that's real estate in your early days. And I remember finishing opens on a Saturday and I remember one deal, which I'll probably never forget. And um, I still speak to these clients to this day that you finish an open for inspection. And if you got an offer, you'd meet the client at the, at the office, you'd sit down with them, get that offer in writing on a contract and then go see the vendor. You didn't call them. You just say, hey, I need to come and see you. And they're like, why? Oh, I just need to come and see you, right? And and they knew why you probably needed to come and see them, but they wanted to try and get the information from you. And we just got taught never discuss price over the phone. So I go and see them. This is, you know, after the open for inspections on a Saturday. Mm. And this deal did not get done till almost 11 o'clock at night because I went back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth till I got this job done. Right, and um, and I was only an assistant, and I wasn't earning a lot of money, and I didn't even really care about the money though. It was more so I was just making sure that I kept my boss happy, that you know we had you no know, goals to meet, or he had his goals to meet, and by me, he made his goals made me happy, if that makes sense. Um, the money was never something that I'd even worry about because I was like I was still living at home at that stage with obviously um, you know work under last so if I made a, a sale or made some extra money a commission it never was never going to change my life you know I had good support for my parents they, they fed me well and you know I didn't have to pay any bills or any board or anything like that so I basically had just a couple of bills which is my, my, my mobile phone and my petrol really and um, and that was really it so I, I could just focus on, on work. Uh, and that was it. And then even, you know, and, you know, dad, for example, I'll get home and finish work at 6.30, 7 o'clock at night from, you know, working with, with last in my early days. I'll get home and my dad will be like, what are you home for? I'm like, well, I finished my day. He goes, it's only 6.30, 7 o'clock. I'm like, yeah, that's what time we finish. <laughs> and he's like, no, go back to work. I'm like, we finished the job. There's nothing to do, basically, right? And he was just always pushing me, always pushing me, always pushing me, make sure that, I just tried, you know, and that was just dad. There was there was no other way around what you know what he could probably teach me. And the two things he gave me in life was work hard and don't bullshit. That was the two things he, he swore by. Amazing pillars to uh, yeah. to live by. Amazing, pillars. and it worked well. The real estate, right? So um, so that was that was really it. And um, so working on the last, I had a, a really good clientele base. And my first year, obviously, did did okay. You know. Um, Jim could see that I was doing well. I was listening to what he was telling others. Some other, some people didn't do it. Obviously, we always hear the same story that you can put someone um, that does exceptionally well in an office that's doing okay. They could listen to that person, see that person, what they're doing, and they 
still don't achieve that because they just don't do and apply those those yep. things, right? And uh, and I just listened to Jim, sat down with him, you know, every single day basically, you know, and many people call my dad, um, <laughs> which is quite funny, <laughs> right? Some of my clients still this day say that. I think they just saw how close of a relationship that we had in terms of that he knew that I would listen and I would just work at it. And again, I didn't want to let him down either, right? Because I could see that he was giving me all the tools and all the skills to become whoever I was going to become. Mm. I had no idea at that at that year at that stage, right? And um, and then basically at that first year, he could see I was making the calls. He could see I was getting the calls in, and I wasn't great at paperwork. Obviously, my English till this day isn't the best because obviously I didn't do much education at school. And he did as much as he can to help me. And then it's like, okay, well, we could help you now, right? And and Jim basically said, okay, well, these are your targets. If you write X amount of dollars uh, per quarter, um, you know, we'll pay for your associate. And if you don't, well, then you're going to pay half of it or full of it, etc. So all of a sudden, I've got to look after an associate. And if I didn't make money, well, I'd have to pay for his wage. So why do you want to pay for his wage? So it gave you so, so it was like a tiered structure, which Correct. gave you incentive to write more business for the business. Correct. Uh, but it also, um, secondly, earned you more money individually, yep. and, and also um, brought someone else along for one of a better term, almost for nothing, yeah. for, for free for you. Hundred percent broker, and 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 Jill was obviously he's very very smart, and hence why he does very well in business. And I'm sure that he was trying to help me, but at the same time, he knew <clears> that by helping me, it was going to help him in the business, right? So I understand that today. Um, and, um, you know, at that stage as well, I had my wife as well. I was already married. Um, and Lisa and I bought a home and, um, you know, I now had a mortgage. And then also now I had an associate and um, Lisa was pregnant. And I'm like, oh my it's god! It's all happening. It's all happening. Jeez. It's all happening, <laughs> all right? And I'm like, how am I going to do this? Um, especially, you know, buying a first home. And and Lisa and I didn't think we were going to get. She wasn't going to fall pregnant immediately. We obviously wanted to have young. You know, one of the kids young. And 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 Lisa was. Uh, she's three years younger than me. So we always wanted to have a, a family, right? Obviously. And and Lisa's an Iraqi background, so. She's got two other uh, other siblings, you know, a brother and a sister, and many uncles, which had big families. So we're always gonna have a big family, right? Uh, we just didn't know when and how quickly, obviously, right? But it happened very quickly. So Lisa, um, obviously, she's an, an amazing lady, mother, um, highly, you know, um, her work ethic is incredible. I think any, most mothers are work ethics are very, you know, very high because they've got to look after kids, right. Which is a very challenging job. But Lisa, um, you know, during her pregnancy, she was still working, you know, she worked in the city at DHS, uh, department of human services, which was in a city. So she had to catch a train from Sydney or Tallers Lakes to the city. Sometimes, the trains would obviously not work. So she had to catch a train, then a bus to the city. All this, and she's heavily pregnant. And Lisa and I were talking about this the other night, actually. And, you know, um, you know, when, when mothers are going through pregnancy, they have morning sickness. They get fatigued. And she's doing all this while going to work on a daily basis because we couldn't afford for her not to go to work at that stage. We just bought a house. I wasn't earning a lot of money. Um, she was earning more than me. 
So she stopped. Well, then who's going to pay for the mortgage and and all the rest of it that goes along with, with owning a home? And she worked till literally giving birth. And um, and yeah, that was that was obviously very hard because you know that you're going to work and seeing um, your wife who's pregnant doing as much as she could to obviously support. And um, as much as I didn't show that, I was always being that type of person. I never probably and she says that to this to this day. I never show too much emotion about that, um, which is probably one of my weaknesses. I, I probably should, but I've always concentrated on what I could what I could do, which I knew that real estate was at that stage my number one. It was just to build this whatever this was going to become, but I gave it one hundred and ten percent, and I think I sacrificed trying to help Lisa through that pregnancy. Um, looking back at it and, and giving her that support that she probably needed. But she knew what I was trying to achieve and and she did what she could and and, and go to work as, as, as best as possible. She, she was sick. Sometimes she would have to get out of the train and the bus just to obviously go and spew basically, right? And she would go to work and she would be at the front desk and she would use the bin to vomit in and, and, and she was telling all these stories, but I never knew that. And I just found that recently that she went through that, Right. Because I never asked, and 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 I, I I honestly felt a little bit embarrassed about that, because I just didn't. I was just focusing so much on on, on work, anyway. And then Christian uh, was born, so Lisa stopped working. Um, and went through maternity leave, and I had a wife that wasn't working. I had a newborn son, and um, I was like twenty five, twenty six years old or thereabouts, and I just went on my own. Have an associate I've got to pay for now, and I think, what the hell am I going to do? Like, I had no option but to work hard and just do everything I can to support one now, uh, my family, but also to support this new guy that was working alongside me and help him through his journey now and to try and get him up to speed with what real estate is because he was green. So, what was the change in skill set then in this period that you've just described to, to level you up? Uh, in those early stages, goes back to probably the question that I asked before as far as uh, what are those things that you ended up really executing really well on in those early stages to get the business rolling to a point of momentum yeah. uh, where you've been essentially unstoppable ever since? Yeah, um, I think me and Jim just basically focused on what I was good at and uh, we outsourced what I wasn't, which is obviously Jim spent a lot of time with the associate, um, to be honest, because I was still listed and selling quite a fair bit and I did show my associate um, a, a few things in terms of what I expected from him to learn um, or basically for us to gel, but you know, in, in other ways, right? I just wanted him to gel with me to make sure I knew what level he was at and he was completely the opposite to what I was um, good at, right? Um, so obviously we, we always say put an admin PA on first um, and that's what we did. So we basically put someone on there that could do all my ads, all the uh, the files and I sucked at that. I, I still suck at it today. Like I... I can't write, you know, I, I can't do ads. I can't do any of that. I'm very poor with anything to do with paperwork, right? Um, I tried my best, but I wasn't good at it. But again, with with the support of Jim um, and showing this associate what to do, we had a, a, a good team. And, and um, Justin, um, who unfortunately after seven years um, left the whole real estate business, uh, we were mates. You know, we, we, we quickly learned that we were seeing each other more than we were seeing our parents. <laughs> And he also had a, a great background of, you know, beautiful parents. Um, again, he was working in a restaurant, which his father, um, which his father owned. Um, so he was already in hospitality and, and, and understood people and etc. He was a very nice kid. And um, we just worked together. 
And through his support, allowed me to to therefore look after my clients, um, which again, Jim always made sure that we spoke to our clients every single day. Um, there wasn't, we weren't allowed to, uh, well, when I say allowed to, we basically made it, you know, a, a very conscious effort to make sure that we did speak so to That's a, a non-negotiable, non-negotiable in the business that's no, right across the had board. To, had to be done. And we knew that not everyone did it. We understood that. We always set, you always set some goals that you know aren't going to be exactly achieved, but you say this is we ex- what we expect from Minimum you. standards. A hundred percent. Now, yeah. I actually thought if we didn't do that, we'd be in trouble. Like we literally, I don't know, get sacked or whatever the case might be. I didn't know what would happen if we didn't speak to our clients on a daily basis. So I just did. Um, and, and again, I, I wasn't I wasn't smart or educated and understood, you know, a lot of things, but I understood that, okay, I'm dealing with people. I'm selling their biggest asset. Yeah. And I've got to help these people either sell or buy or transaction or whatever the case might be. But it's their biggest asset. You're you're selling their home, um, and I made sure to all my clients when I was helping them with transitioning from a buying service point of view or selling point of view that I appreciated what they were going through. Um, so I took my time to listen to to my clients, and that stemmed from buyers really at the early stages. Like I was the best buyer service person you ever met in your life. Like. You know, um, someone wanted to buy a home, I would help them religiously. I'll call them every day. I'll find out what they want and I'll never waste their time. So I was very, very good at finding out not just what their price point was um, because obviously every buyer would tell you less than what they can really spend, which is fair enough. I understand that because they really don't want a, buy, a person that's buying a home doesn't really know what they're going to spend until they actually find that property, right? It's not like, oh, we've got a budget of a million dollars. If they find something of a million twenty five, they're going to buy it. If they really like it, right? So I was quickly, I was so easily, quickly to, to understand that. So it wasn't about pushing that person to spend more. It was about saying, "Hey, well, listen, you haven't liked, you know, one, two, three properties, but hey, I've got these other homes that are better suited to you. But there might be a different location. There might be a different price point. It might not be double story. It might be single story. It might be. I was quickly, I, I was able to quickly realize that someone's circumstances can change. Again, that all stemmed from Jim. Just refer properties to them and they'll appreciate it but don't waste their time either at the same time so you have to very you know it was a very hard skill to to find to be able to find that balance between wasting that person's time versus them referring a property that might not be suited to them that you're worried about actually wasting their time if that makes sense one of the things i remember james tostevin's always said um is it's i think it's a um I guess an undervalued skill. It's something that people assume just happens magically, yep. but it's an undervalued skill and be able to match the right person uh, to the right property. Yep. Uh, it sounds super obvious in real estate, doesn't it? But yep. I don't know that enough agents actually spend the time buyer matching, so to speak, because I don't think enough agents have done the work that you're, oh. you're talking about that you put in, yep. in terms of actually getting to know the buyer and over servicing them to a point where when the right property comes, it will just trigger in your mind and you'll know, hey, I'm going to call Andrew about this. Yep. Uh, Andrew Branco here. I've got the perfect property based on our conversations recently. It's just come up. When are you free for me to show you through? Branko, I love that. I love selling homes. Um, when I say not oh, pre-market, but I love referring property to the buyers I'm working with. and Underbitters and things like that. My iron but to this day, you know, when I was working with Lass, and uh, last to his credit, I actually bought an iPad. And iPads back then, they weren't around. So, like, no one owned an iPad. But last bought an iPad. 
And rather than having handwritten notes, we still have obviously, you know, um, paperwork and say first name, surname, mobile number, email address, right? We had this iPad because Jim invested into a, a database um, early on. So we had to have an, an iPad to be able to use this database. And um, a buyer would walk through the open floor inspection. I'll be there and I would know everything about that property. The, you know, the fundamentals, how many bedrooms is it, obviously, how many bathrooms, how big the block of land is and how old is the house. So if a buyer came to an open floor inspection, I said, oh, welcome. The home offers three bedrooms, two bathrooms on 587 square meters of land you know, whatever else I could tell them. And buyers would look at you and say, what? I just went to another open and they had a hand, like they were writing everything on a notepad and you're here with an iPad telling me everything about the home before you actually walked into the house, right? And what happened was that built, you know, relationships very quickly with these people that were looking to buy a home. So as soon as another home came on the market, guess who they trusted? Because I gave them the time and the service to be able to say, hey, listen, I've just listed a property off market. I'm giving you the first opportunity to view it. it again, and the rest is is pretty easy to say, right? But reality is, is that you had to give buyer service really early on. And and from that, what that's basically me the leg up to to where I'm basically am today. Is there any look those years when you work with Lass, was there anything that when you look back now, anything that you took for granted when you were a young bloke? Um, when you were learning, is it all? Were you so conscious of soaking everything in uh, that you, like you said, you just learnt what needs to be done? You're told what needs to be done, and you just did it. Was there anything looking back now that that you took for granted, though? Um, taking for granted, not really, because I, I understood and appreciated that. Like okay. you know, Jim made it very clear what they were doing back then to what they're doing today. So I, I basically quickly appreciated that. Hey they had to work a lot harder than what I have to work mm, today. Mm. So even when I started, you know, it was still easy. Like I, you know, I could listen to other colleagues of mine in the office, hearing what they were doing. Some of them that weren't even working. They weren't making calls. They were just on the computer doing, I don't even know what they were doing. Mm. So I couldn't do that with Lass because Lass reminded my dad. And, um, you know, he was just a, his, his, his work ethic is incredible. And to, his, to this day, Lass is 65 years old and he works incredibly hard. It's still the same. It's still the same. Mm. It's, in, are, it's ingrained. You're wide that way. 100%. They don't know anything different. They just know that yep. this is what it is. And, and that was me as well, you know, to a degree where I didn't know anything different. So working hard, working long hours, it was what it was. Mm. It wasn't like, oh, my God, I've got to wake up this morning. I'm going to be at the office at 7.30. I'm going to be home at 10. Yeah. I never complained. You're pretty – sounds like you're pretty focused, um, obviously, as I say, uh, to a point almost of, of obsession. Would that be <laughs> Would that be fair to say? Like, I, I, use, I use focus and obsession kind of in, in, the, in the same thing. What I just want to ask, Andrew, is, is uh, when someone is so focused, if some will call it obsessed, is there a downside to that? Do you, oh. think, do you think there's a downside, and, and, and if there is, what, what's the downside of being so obsessed and focused on, oh. on, a, on a goal? I think it's just family. I think you're just, you know, unfortunately missing out that family time. Um, it's probably the only, you know, down thing about it with your mates as well, that they, you know, that they were travelling, they were doing things after mm. work hours, um, which, which I couldn't do, obviously. Um, I never travelled because, obviously, I worked a lot and I didn't want to sacrifice what I was learning to go overseas. And again, we, you know, Lisa fell pregnant pretty quickly. We had Christian, so we couldn't really travel anyway. Um, and, and I, I think I had to sacrifice, and I still believe to this day, I'm sacrificing a lot for my family. And it's the old cliche you hear that all the time, 
but the reality is the truth. That's just what it is. Um, you know, to have a young mum at home and a newborn baby mm. and to have expenses and et cetera, well, you have no choice but to work. Um, so I didn't want to let, you know, my wife down and now my son, right? And, and that was a, a big drive. But the reality is then I didn't have the time to be at home and, and, and see my son grow at the early stages, you know, um, you know, the, the baby steps and all the rest of it. I missed out on all that and that sucks, you know, but the do reality you, do is- Do you regret that now um, when you look back on it? I do. Or it's just part of the journey? I do and I don't because I've seen that with my daughter now, I think, and I kind of say, well, at least I have seen it with, with my daughter. And I, I, I again, you know, regret's a massive word because it's like, well, there's so many things you can regret in life, right? But the reality is just move on. Um, you think about it and say, you know what? Yeah, it could have happened. Can't change you it. Can't change yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Um, and but yeah, is it a case of sort of win at all costs? You know, is it the old the old question? Is it ever enough? And and the the question is, what is it for everybody different? What what is it for Andrew? Um, for those that know, I'm I'm a very boring person, right? So uh, in regards to, I'm very regiment in terms of what I do on a daily basis. There's nothing there that I need to have. If that makes sense, like me buying a pair of shoes now, like running shoes because I started running, is probably the most exciting thing for me, right? Because that's what I'm striving at the moment. I'm that's like, where your focus 100%, is, hundred percent, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's it's never been about money. Like obviously, that's a byproduct of what we do. Mm. And Jim taught me that how many years ago when I first started, and saying Andrew, just focus on your client. Oh, I'm, Brankle, even the numbers I give to client are people that ask me how much mm. how much I rent. I don't even know. Yeah, I couldn't even tell you what I rate last month. Yeah, I couldn't even tell you what I rate for the year. I would not yeah. have a clue at all. The numbers take care of themselves. I wouldn't don't even they? know, Brank. I would not. I get that question all the time. Oh, what did you write last month? Or what did you write this year? I'm like, Man, I have no idea. Mm. I really just don't know. Right? Even how many transactions I've done. Like sometimes Jim wants to tell me, say, "Mate, you had a great month." I'm like, "What did I do?" You know? And and at one one month, I think about 22 transactions or whatever it was. I'm like. That is awesome. And, and yeah, you celebrate the wins, but not much. You kind of say, great, but you focus on- Onto the next Next thing. one, yeah. right? And it was never the next listing. It was always, you know, well, you had other commitments because you had other clients that you had to look after, if that makes sense. Mm. And um, and obviously, traveling, that was always hard. So Lisa, obviously, you know, uh, to this day, you know, um, it's always hard because when we go away, my phone's always on. But again, with her support, um, it's allowed me to to definitely do what I do, and and it's just we always say our wives, and Jim said that the same thing in his podcast. Mm. They're the backbone of what we do. You know what I mean? That's the reality of it. And and she didn't support me, and and she was consistently nagging me to be home. If she was telling me oh, I had to be home at a certain time, oh, you can't do this job. You can't just no, can't do it. Can't. It will never work. It's not a nine to five job. It's 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 a get in early, get out late or whatever time it is. You know, there's no finish or start and finish time, you know. Um, even when I was an associate, I didn't go to work at 9 a.m. when I was last as PA. Mm. No way. No. I was there. I was still there at 8 o'clock in the morning. I never got paid for that. But I never knew, um, not knew, but it was never about the money or getting there early. It's just I was getting there early to show that I wanted to learn. I wanted Hungry. to. Yeah, 100%. And I knew very early, if I got in early, I'd be able to do more work um, in the first hour then for the whole day. Yeah. Um, whether or not it was getting back to email inquiries, where it was, you know, I had to call a buyer in the morning to tell them about a new listing or what the case might be. It was just what it is. And we didn't have massive, oh, 
you know, great advantages in terms of um, like age of box database these days mm-hmm. in terms of text messages and so forth. Everything that had to be, you know, one text message, another text message, Very manual. Yeah. Very manual, exactly. Yeah. And we didn't text a lot. It was all of its phone calls, but you follow the, the phone call up with the text message, right? So you can imagine how many phone calls make in the morning, how many text messages will follow after that. So everything was just manual, right? And um, and that's what I did, in, in, you know, since, since they died, just getting early. Um, and then obviously with commitments or family commitments just made me – just made me work harder. Yeah. How much improvement do you reckon you've got in you? Oh, no, I can improve a lot. Um, and um, to be honest, I think this year's probably the first year where I've probably um, had time to, to learn uh, or want to, to learn a lot more than what I have in, in, in the past. Um, in what areas? In what areas do you reckon you can improve? Oh, just from a business sense. I've never been a, a good business person, so to speak, in terms of knowing how a business, business actually runs. Um, and I'd love to do it now, um, purely and simply because um, I think I've got more more flexibility. Um, you know, um, as you know, I've just bought into the business. So um, since I've bought into business, I want to know how the business works, um, and I want to grow the team, um, not my team, but you know, our our team, um, and and help the salespeople there. And um, I'm not, I'm not at that point right now. Um, I'm, I'm I'm focusing on on doing that. I'm, you know, trying to, to learn myself first. So that way then when I learn 100% myself and I'm able to give them the right information that I will. I, I, I've never tried to um, give advice where I don't know 100%, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, if I know the answers to them, I'll 100% tell them exactly what needs to be done. But if I'm not sure, I can't give the advice. So what, so what learnings then have you had in the short time that you have been a business owner and a, and a partner? Um in, in the company, uh, in the office, what, what sort of learnings have you taken away in these early stages? I know it's, like you said, it's early in the piece, but what sort of key things have you have you picked up uh, at, at this very um, early um, stage? I think it's just more sitting back and and, and what can the, the, the office do better versus just saying what can Andrew do better, right? Um, and that's really what, I focus, what I'm focusing on and, and, and trying to therefore then grow the team. That's really important because yeah. I've learned that at the end of the day, if you can grow the team and get them to, to, to make more uh, money or get more listings, et cetera, well, then therefore mm-hmm. it's going to give me a better yeah. income as well, right? Um, and I, I realized that quickly, obviously, when having the PAs on and then seeing how Jim was helping me putting those PAs on and, and, and obviously, well, geez, I went from writing 350 to 700 to, you know, last year, 2.1 million. I'm like, well, I did this doing for me. I did it for, for also for my my bosses, right, my, my team, right, because they were making money as well. So I'm like, well, now it's time for me to be able to show my team how to do that, which will therefore hopefully then be, bring me, you know, obviously yeah. a better income as well. Yeah. Um, and I'm very lucky, Greg. I'm 33 years old. Um, and I said the same thing when I was 19. I said, I'm very lucky I'm 19 years old, <laughs> right? Like that's what I said to myself. Like, I'm 19 years old. I've got my whole life to learn how to do real estate properly, if that makes sense. And I had no idea, as I said before, Brank, what, what that was about. Now, at 33, I'm very lucky. Mm. You know, uh, I'm very blessed with obviously two children, uh, very blessed to have a wife that understands what work ethic is, a, is about, um, even though she doesn't like it and no mother with two children that is mostly on their own enjoys it. Like they can't sit there and say, oh, I don't mind if my husband's out all day, every day. You can't say that, you know. Um, You can have parent support and et cetera, but you still want your husband to be home. Of course. And your kids want 
dad, you know. Um, I sometimes get home and your children are running to you, as they always say, right? And sometimes I don't see them for two days. <laughs> if they go, you know, time goes past. By the time I wake up, I'm at the door. And then by the time they go to sleep, I'll, I'll go home. Um, and they're obviously a little regrets I had, obviously, at the early stages. But now where things are, are moving along um, a, a lot more smooth in terms of being able to get home a little bit earlier, managing time a lot better because I'm at a level now where I can try and take a step backwards but to allow others to grow. And, and that's where I'm really focusing at the moment. So it's, it's a really interesting perspective because that seems to be a natural career progression for business owners after you've had individual success. Uh, yeah. You want the success to be – because it's a bit similar to what Jim said on the – on the podcast when we were with him, um, he said said a, a, something in a very similar vein. Um, let me ask you, Drossos, Politis, Chari, DiGiulio, Hats, Carp, seriously elite performers in your group. Yep. Those guys have been firmly entrenched as you know, high performers for a long, long time. Sustained performance. I saw you put a post up, um, your running posts in the morning, your 4.30, <laughs> 5 o'clock posts, which you're famous for, which we'll touch on later. Um, one of the posts I read about recently was talking about sustained performance, something that you're already doing, something that those guys have done for you know, a long time, some of them decades. Do you lean on those guys uh, that are within the group uh, as much as young agents lean on you for guidance? I did early. Um, I remember meeting with um, John Stack. There was two guys actually, um, Ray Harb, who was I think uh, one of the youngest um, you know, top performers in the group, um, many, many years ago, Ray Harb, um, was, um, you know, put his hand up to, to catch up with myself. I think he was doing around 80, 90 deals back, back then was huge numbers. He was only a young guy as well. And then John Stack as well from Blackburn. Um, I met up with John to see how he was going. I think he was the first, one of the first million dollar riders in the group and at an early age. Um, so caught up with John and I always reached out to everyone, anyone that I could, um, I just said, Hey, have you got time? And, and, and as you know, most of the high performers would always have, they have always time. do. They're always yeah, they generous always with their time. A hundred percent. And, um, I didn't know Mark and Theo, um, personally, I, I never actually reached out to them, um, at that point of time. Cause I didn't know much about Mark and Theo. Um, but again, I did speak to John and, and, and just seeing what they were doing. And it always came back to the fundamentals, which was just obviously, you know, brand awareness, um, in your, in your, in your farm area, basically, and just making calls in that farm area and not being an expert in, in every area. Right. So not a generalist, rather a specialist. Correct. hundred percent. And I already knew that from, from what Jim was trying to guide me, but seeing what the other gents were doing in their patch and how they were, how they were doing it in terms of, was it letter drops? Was it cold calling? What was it about it? Right. And then basically just, you know, picking their brains and, and, and doing that myself. And, um, and that definitely, definitely helps. And now, you know, I speak to Mark and Theo um, quite a bit now, right? And then you got Chari, who is an absolute freak. Um, Phenomenal volume uh, that an individual agent with his team, of course, can, yeah. can write. It's just extraordinary numbers. Extraordinary numbers, right? So you're talking about, you know, Mark, Theo, and Chari, um, which are probably, you know, top 20 agents across Australia, not just, you know, Victoria. And they're just, you know, humble people, right? They're family men. Um, you know, Chari, you know, from coming from overseas himself and, um, you know, looking how hard he has worked to provide for himself and his obviously now family, it's amazing. And, and being able to lean on those guys and to be able to 
um, then turn around and say, well, what's your excuse, so to speak? That definitely helps, you know, kind of motivate yourself if you want to use motivation as anything. Now, um, not many things motivate me, Branko, to be honest. I, I find motivation is is just something that it, it, it's it's there. but It's, fle- sh- it's fleeting, though. It yeah, comes and goes, yeah, motivation. Yeah, correct, 100%. And I think you should just be motivated. You know, you should yeah. just do – like, if you're going to do something, just do it. And, and, and motivation to me is something that – you know, I, I know it's there, but it's not like the, I don't feed on it, if that makes sense. Um, I, I feed on things that will make me happy um, and that will then motivate me to, you know, keep on going, if that makes keep sense. Keep the right? equation simple. 100%. Hey? Have, yeah. that, have that goal, have that target, the, the yeah. old why, you know, what do you do, what yeah. do you do. Um, and it tends to set things in motion pretty quickly. But I, I just ask you that because, uh, you know, not, not a lot of groups, you know, Marshall White's a, a, an incredible example. Jealous Craig yeah. groups are incredible groups. Uh, they have high performers in that in that particular network, in that group, where they can lean on each other, they're fortunate enough to have unbelievable performers yeah. under the one roof, and, and that's why I just ask you the same question because it must be, it must be a uh, a privilege really to have those guys at uh, at your. <laughs> I won't say at your beck and call, but uh, I know they'll oh, pick up the phone if you rang them. They always pick, pick it up in, in no, a flash. They, they do. Like as I said before, Mark and Theo will always text them and see how they're going, um, and they'll always respond. You know, Theo and I, um, we speak quite a bit and now you got the Barry Plant conferences uh, which I've been lucky enough to go to the last couple of times and you're seeing these gents and you're talking about business and family and the Barry Plant group what they do really well is their conference like you know you, you not only have all the real estate agents there but you've also got their partners there and their partners you know obviously mingle with you know everyone else's partners oh how do you cope when he's not home or she home whatever the case might be and and it's amazing for them to be able to all talk to each other and have their challenges and they can obviously broadcast that to themselves. Right. Um, and that's amazing. You know, to be able to do that is really, really good and allows, you know, obviously our, our wives to be able to, you know, basically say, you know what, we have the same challenges. It's not unusual for my husband to get home at X, Y time. You know what I mean? So that's amazing to do from the Barry plant group. And, Obviously, hence why we never left, you know. Mm. Well, again, I'll never leave anyone, mm. not because of just Barry plan, because obviously, you know, my mental team, I just wouldn't do it. It's just mm. something I've always said to myself, well, they're looking after you. Why wouldn't you look after them back, if that makes sense? And as 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 you know, I'm, I'm a very loyal person in, in that point of way. And, um, and I've always just said, no, I'm going to stick with the group because obviously what I've been taught by um, a human being and, and is amazing what he does. And I said earlier, he's a great person, but – as a real estate agent, he's definitely up there as, as one of the best. It's got to be a two-way street, doesn't it, when it comes to the, the agency and, and the business or the brand and, yep. and the agent themselves. So and it's interesting what you say about uh, about your partners and your wives. Uh, yep. I think it's an un- underrated uh, element, isn't it? Because they can they can sometimes make, not, not directly but indirectly, sometimes make or break somebody's career based on, as you mentioned before, the expectation of you being at home or or being at work or whatever it might be, and how somebody may feel about that. But if you're if you're together, if you're each other's cheerleader, um, you know, so to speak, I, I think that makes it so much easier to perform. And they are kind of like uh, the ladies; they're kind of like the secret sauce that makes us all go, aren't they? A hundred percent. And look, we always have a challenges. Like it's never smooth sailing. Like at the end, at the end of the day, you get home. Unfortunately, you're going to have arguments about work and et cetera because they've been home all day looking after kids. They're exhausted. They're tired and all they want to do is have help. And, um, you know, that's expected. It's going, to, it's going to happen. But then you quickly realize, you know, you're doing it for a purpose. Yeah. And 
and you, you, you try and say, well, this is my why and this is why I'm doing it. Um, and then they quickly appreciate it and then you discuss it and you sit down and that's just life, you know, like a husband and wife would have to say, well, if I don't do this, what else do we do? If that makes sense, it's right? It's your team. You're, it's you're doing it for the collective 100%, good. 100%, you know, and unfortunately, yeah, you know, sometimes you don't have that, you know, partnership and they, you know, your wife um, would normally turn around and say, well, unfortunately, no, you can't do those hours and I want you home by five or six o'clock, you know, but to me, it's not going to allow you to have a, a great success or lifestyle that you might want. But then again, again, I didn't know what lifestyle I wanted anyway, Branko, to be honest. I had no idea about that. I just wanted to know that my kids uh, and my wife um, was allowed to be able to live uh, a life that they wanted, if mm, that makes sense. Yeah. So if my wife wanted to send my son to a good school or he wanted the good pair of shoes. I don't know what it was. I just knew that I wanted them to have that opportunity option. Yeah. to be able to do that. Um, mm. It's not because I never had that myself because my parents always gave me the best options and et cetera, right? But, you know, especially in terms of education or whatever the case might be, I, I never had that mm. because obviously expensive to send your kids to private oh, yeah, schools and absolutely. whatnot. We all, knew, we all know that, right? So my dad couldn't send me to a, a better educated school mm. because he just couldn't afford that. That was just yeah. – it wasn't negotiable for that to happen, right? Whereas now – I've, you know, through working hard in real estate, I know now at least my wife can say, you know what, this is where we want to go. We're going to go here, Let's do it. for example. Let's do it, right? Insecurities and self-doubt. Yep. As people and as agents, right, they can sometimes be super very prominent, very loud in yep. our game, in our heads. Obviously, no one else knows them but yep. ourselves. Um, and I think great agents understand you know, the difference between sort of um, feedback and, and criticism. Sometimes – uh, it can be taken personally when we're not doing a great job. And it's not uh, an issue you have now, but probably more a question when you were you know, a, a young guy, when you're coming through the ranks. Do you remember doing your first deal, uh, either a listing or a sale? Um, and can you remember what your skill set was like at the time? I, I do. And I, I must admit, because of the way I was taught, uh, I was never – chucked in, as they say, in the deep end, if that makes sense, right? So Lass and, and Jim always basically said, okay, this is these are the the, the way you're going to negotiate a deal. Like getting me to understand, you know, how to can I sign an offer, if that makes sense, right? What to say to a buyer or to a vendor when you, when you have an offer. So I was very, very lucky. And we have to understand that Jim and, and Lass, um, but more so Jim because he's been doing this for such a long time, he's one of the best agents in Australia. So if I couldn't succeed with having him in my corner, when was I ever going to succeed? Yeah. So doing the first deal, I was 100% confident that I knew that I could get this deal over the line because of what I got taught during training. Can you remember the address? Uh, one of them was 10 Salandine Way in Hillside. It was a townhouse in, in Hillside. But then there was also one in, um, in another property in, in Hillside, which is the one I negotiated at a very late, late in the day. Um, and uh, that was an actual close number one. Um, and I still spoke to, to those clients, right, uh, which is crazy. And, and more so the people that owned that house at actual close because me and last negotiated that deal so late and they stayed local. So And it's in Hillside, which is my, my farm era. So those people never forget. And they always still talk about to this day. And the other one was in Panorama Drive, in also Hillside because, again, that, that was our patch. And... Um, and that gentleman, he's been there for now, I think, 11, 11 or 12 years. And he'd always call me. Every time I call him for, you know, to say hello or an anniversary, whatever the case might be, he'd always say, I'll never forget that day. I'll never forget that day when I asked you that question at the front door 
and you're the only person that you know said this and blah 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 and etc. Right, and then you went to another open for inspection. Remember my name and and everything just it just clicked. It's powerful when you can remember people's names. It's a, it's impressive. It, it's yeah. a something triggers us that makes us feel good. Those yeah, hundred percent. But that's yeah. building relationships though, right? And that's that's the thing as well. Which um, if you look at from a challenge point of view today, that's my challenge, right? Because now I'm meeting so many people that it's a challenge that I have to try and be able to, you know, doing so many deals, but then also to be able to remember these people as well, right? And that's why I hated COVID. I couldn't stand COVID. It was too busy. It was probably the first time in my career that I just didn't like what I was doing because it was just, yeah, the money was good and that's fine. But I, I couldn't tell you some of the houses that I sold because one, they never saw them. And you didn't have that relationship trying to, you know, get a buyer through that home, you know, asking what do they think about that house? You know, how could you help them buy that home? Even speaking to the vendors, you know, them seeing what you were going through to mm. try and get their home sold and appreciating your efforts. Not that, you know, the vendors didn't appreciate your efforts during COVID because those vendors could see that we had challenges and obviously we had, you know, certain rules that we had to follow. So mm. they understood that. But then from the buyer perspective, like, well, as everyone knows, we're meeting 100 people per week at one listing. And sometimes the amount of phone calls we're grabbing, we're getting um, per day, which was ridiculous. So it, it wasn't enjoyable. It was just a transaction. Mm. And that was the first time that that was – I felt like a transaction agent. I was mm. doing all these deals that I had no idea who these people were. And it will come to settlement, and you don't even know what they look like. So now if these people ever go to sell – well, why should I be the first person they call? Felt very detached by the sounds of 100%. it. hundred percent. I did. I actually, I did because I was like, well, it's, it was not, it was not, not personable. And mm. I was always about knowing the client. I've always called those clients back after they bought a home, kept in touch with all my past clients. You know, since the day I was an associate to probably just before COVID, I mm. knew everyone in my database. I still do know these people and I know which house I sold. I know, you know, my memory for property is amazing in terms of where they bought and et cetera, but the names and what they look like, no chance I'm not going to remember that, you know? Um, so you can't fault them from going elsewhere because there was no relationship with the yeah. agent. Whereas beforehand, I know, you know, everyone else in my database before obviously COVID, I did speak to all the time and I built a relationship mm. and, and took care of them, if that makes sense. Yeah. Apart from obviously those deals that my associates did because when they were my associates, I let them have a bit of um, the reins in terms of dealing and negotiating with yes. those buyers, um, but not negotiating the deal with the vendors because yeah, I did all that. Um, but it was more so building a relationship with the buyer because I wanted them to be able to have a relationship where they went on their own to be able to have a database of their own, if that yeah, makes yeah. sense, and right? It helps build their career. Uh, 100%, yeah. which Jim always told me. It's the right thing to do. Exactly. So you build their career, which therefore one day will make it your mm. job easier as well. Um, yeah, I guess everything's easy when it's going well, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, as you just said, now when things aren't going well, we're not feeling we're not we're not feeling it, or things aren't going quite to plan. When things go south, we've got to ask ourselves who we are. Andrew, how do you deal with failure? Um, I'm sure you get the bulk of the listings that you get uh, that you go in for, but you don't get them all. Um, what do you struggle with? How, how do you deal with failure when you are faced with? Uh, a listing that you don't get or, or something that doesn't go your way or, or someone that leaves your business. I know you've had a couple of uh, couple of long-term agents that worked alongside you and your team um, that have left you and um, for various reasons. Um, ha- how have you adjusted your business and your mindset to deal with those, um, um, those changes in your business? Yeah, look, from a mindset point of view, training for me has always been – Really, really important. Um, since a young age, I've always 
got up really early. Um, I'm a four thirty a.m. type of person, and I basically get up early to be able to get ready for the day of you know rejection um, or positivity, whatever whatever I was going to be facing that day. Work working out in the morning or, or training in the morning is definitely one hundred and ten percent. The reason why rejection for me just is is gone within within minutes because it just allows me to focus on what I can control, and and training is that. So I, I weight did weight training, you know, in, in my early years. So from soccer, um, as soon as I couldn't train anymore because obviously you know just faded out, got into weight training, and I did as much as I could to be what I thought was just going to be the biggest person I could be. So I ate like Jim always says, there's not many chickens in the world left because of my, myself, right? <laughs> um, but that was just me because my weight training, I knew what I needed to do to become the biggest if I wanted to become that. I had no idea. I was just doing weight training because it was my way of just letting the steam out, as they say, right? But I said to myself, well, I'm going to do weight training. I'll do it properly. And then combine that with, with real estate – I was just outworking everyone, which meant if I was losing business, I knew I had more business that I was getting anyway. So I just left it alone. I'm like, yeah, okay, it hurts. And, you know, to this day, like, I'll, I'll lose a deal. Um, and for example, they'll go elsewhere and you'll be, you'll be saying, shit. Like, I really wanted that listing because you know that listing is going to give you more business, you're going to meet more people, and et cetera. So it's never just about that deal, right? Um, and I know in confidence that, you know, I always say this to all my clients, I'll negotiate a better price than anyone else, just purely and simple on my experience. And I know I can read better, I can read people better than anyone else. Well, that was always my, my skill. And um, I always translate that to my vendors, but unfortunately, sometimes I'll have a relationship with another agent or, you know, family members, whatever the case might be, and um, it, they just go elsewhere. So when I lost that business, I just focused on things that I could control and said, okay, well, I've lost this. But I've got 10 or 12 or 15 or others that are looking at selling. Let's help them move forward or whatever the case might be. But training in the morning it has definitely helped. And I've, I've changed that because now instead of weight training, um, you know, I was eating a lot. I got to a point where, um, you know, I was over 100 kilos, but I was I was purely simply bulking up because that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to, you know, do weight training and I was eating, you know, quite a fair bit, you know, but I was every day was the same food. So I was eating you know, chicken every morning, chicken at breakfast, chicken at nighttime. I was just eating as much as I could on a daily basis, but I ate the same food every single day. And, and people are like, aren't you sick of eating the same mm. food? I'm like, no, because that's what I needed to do to become whatever I yeah, wanted to become, yeah, if that makes sense. It's just what it was. So um, and in my early stages, my mum helped me out, right? She used to, you know, I used to call her from the gym and say, mum, I'm coming home. She would have like my eggs ready for me and my omelette ready for me, et cetera, right? Because that's what I ate every single morning. It was never, ever different, right? So I never changed what I was, you know, basically eating. My lifestyle never changed. Just that was it. That's what I need to do every single day. Um, so by following that regime was basically the reason why it gave me, you know, um, you know, let out steam basically. And, and, and if I was concerned about something, I'd just go to gym or train or whatever. And now it's running. Raining just makes me clear my mind in the morning and um, it's just given me a different way of, yeah, just a different, different way of thinking. So if your day starts at 4.30 um, in the morning running, how long does it run for, just roughly? Just depends. Uh, every day is different. Half an hour, yeah, hour? An hour at least. Hour. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. So if you're out for running first thing in the morning, walk me through your day, a typical day for Andrew, um, high-performing estate agent in Melbourne. What does it look like for you um, in, in terms of what you're doing from the morning to when you get home at night? Do you want to start when I first started or today's? Today. 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 
Or maybe maybe actually take us back what it looked like when you worked for Laz as an assistant yeah. and how it does actually compare to tax. It would yeah, be an so, inter- interesting variation. Yeah, so basically when I first started, um, I used to get up really, really early, again, 4.30, same time as what I get up now, and then basically into work at about 7.30, quarter to 8. Um, it was always, and it was sometimes a, a funny game that me and Jim used to play who got into work earlier, right? So it's just what it was. So... Um, and then basically, because I didn't have any any children at that point of time, I could get in that that early, and that hour, an hour and a half, definitely gave me a, a lot of leverage compared to all my other colleagues in the office. Right? Again, even though I was an associate, I wasn't getting paid for all these sales. It wasn't about that. It was just making sure that I was getting a leg up to be able to, therefore, one day have all these people I was dealing with be able to be my, um, you know, my. Um, supporters today you're you know, raving, raving, raving fans. fans yeah correct yeah. that's the word raving fans right and that's what i was focused on i was always focused on the the, the, the long-term goal in regards to okay well this is what the first year looks like this is the first five years time this is 10 years time what it's going to look like um and then basically that had to slow down because i couldn't get in office anymore at 7 30 so 7 30 would come 8 30 if that makes sense, right? And that's basically what it is today. So today, um, it looks like the same thing. I will wake up early in the morning, but now I get home at about 10 to 6, and it has to be around 10 to 6 because otherwise, um, uh, sorry, 10 to, 10 to 7, because otherwise the children would wake up earlier than my wife, um, and my wife needs to wake up around 7.30, so she gets extra, extra sleep. So I get home just before they wake up my wife. Um, so my kids already know now that I'll be home around 10 to 7, and the door will open and the kids will be running downstairs. And that half an hour, 45 minutes, will allow me to spend some quality time with the children. Um, and then I'll basically leave home about 8 o'clock, quarter past 8, and then, you know, again, get into the office at 8.30, quarter to 9, whatever that time looks like now. But the reality is, from the moment I jump in the car, the day starts. And then I always know from – in the mornings you always – for me personally, it's always your past clients or your clients that you're currently dealing with at the moment. So it's always your, my vendors or my past clients, depends on obviously who I need to call on that day. But if it's not important, it's always past clients first. Get, you know, call them in the morning because they know they've got more time, you know, maybe they're just getting their day started, et cetera. Um, but mainly um, it was always past clients and your vendor calls in the morning. When you say past clients, just keeping in touch? Yep, definitely. Yeah. So people that I sold to, people that I sold for. Um, it doesn't matter who it was. It was just choosing a few clients every morning and say, hey, how are you going basically, right? And that was that was really it. But then your vendor calls always, unfortunately, not, nothing always goes according to plan. So if you had to tell them something, you'd always tell them first thing in the morning, right? Um, that's the way I, I got taught. For me, it's about if you're going to give them bad news, do it immediately. Because um, unfortunately, normally when you're negotiating a deal, it's always after hours typically. So, you know, you might speak to a vendor at nighttime, but they miss your call. They won't call you back in the morning or whatever the case might be. So unfortunately, most of the bad calls were, you know, getting, getting them out first thing in the morning. And yep. that's typically what I, what I do today. And that will never stop. And just just the, the separation of tasks that you were doing as a um, cadet PA working under LAS, versus the separation of tasks that you undergo today. Yep. Uh, so a lot of it's vendor-oriented now. When you're working for him, um, what what sort of tasks were you doing? Was it purely buyer-related and and maybe drill down to some specifics as to what you were doing with him? Yeah, it was just mainly um, buyers. I never dealt with vendors. Um, you know, only a couple of times if he went away, I'll, I'll deal with a vendor or we'll, under the pump, I'll, I'd speak to him. But last, always just dealt with, with the clients. Mm. And I just replied to all these emails and um, and all the buyer servicing, et cetera. Okay. 
Um, sometimes take his car for the car wash and whatnot, which was always funny. And Lass had beautiful cars back then, so I always got excited driving his brand, his brand new cars and his Mercedes, and uh, which was always good. Um, but yeah, fundamentally, um, that was really what I focused on, which is which is great because really dealing with all the buyers back then um, and meeting all these people, well, then that I understood that in the long term that was always going to help me. So yeah. I never never thought about oh. You know, am I going to get paid for this sale or what? I didn't care. It wasn't mm. even about that because I knew one day if they're going to sell, well, hey, they're going to remember Andrew, Absolutely. right? So long term, I quickly realized that was the most important thing. Excellent. Leadership. Yep. Uh, leadership or, or you sound like uh, leading by example uh, through action has been something that's been around you all your life once again. You know, dad, uh, Jim, Lass, uh, you've had great teachers uh, that have led consciously or subconsciously around you. Um it's kind of your turn now to do the leadership. From some of your industry colleagues, just some words I want to read to you when I've asked them, just some thoughts on Andrew. I'm about to, I'm about to do this. He's very humble. He's down to earth. He's relatable. Uh, he gives everyone the time of day. Uh, he's extremely motivated and driven. He's up at 4.30 every morning going for runs, and he's very active on social. Gives us an insight into how he lives his life, and he's very structured. Pretty glowing words from industry colleagues. Does leadership come naturally to you, do you think? Uh, or is it something, or is it another area that you're constantly working on? Oh, 100% constantly working on. Because people are looking up to you all the time. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I'm, I'm working on that on a daily basis. And I'm, sometimes, you know, it's quite embarrassing because I'm like, well, they're looking up to you, but you don't really know 100% if, if you're actually that leader today, if that, if that makes sense. So I look how at do, it. How do you measure it? I, what, what's, I, what, are, what are the metrics to I, know how you're going? <sighs> I think the metrics is purely and simply knowing that I'm doing the right things every single day in terms of what needs to be done. So focusing on, for example, we always talk about calls, right? We always talk about, okay, well, no matter what stage of career you're in, you have to be making those phone calls. So if I know I'm making those phone calls, well, something's going to come out of those phone calls, Mm. right? Um, Speaking to your vendors, um, speaking to all your buyers, just making sure you do little things 100% on a daily basis, correct, right? Now, sometimes you have those challenges. You get busy and, and unfortunately you can't make all those calls on a daily basis. Like I don't measure my calls. I don't say, oh, I'm going to make 50 or 100 calls this day. I just know that when I'm at work, I just do the calls. I call the right people, you know, and, and just basically make sure that I'm, I'm working all the time because if people actually reach out to me and say, hey, what are you doing? Well, you actually want to tell them what you actually yeah. are doing it, it's. I'm very proud to be able to have people. I'm full proud for having people actually look up to me, which is amazing. I never would have thought that in my in my whole life that I would have people um, like yourself, Branko, reaching out and, and asking, "Hey, what are you doing on a daily basis?" Like that never ever crossed my mind. Like mm. you can't. I think many people in my position probably say that as well. I never thought I'd be a coach or a leader or a mentor or anything. Those words. I just thought, "Hey, this is who I am. I'm going to do my absolute best." And if my best is going to get me to a level of success, um, well, amazing. Um, that's great, right? And I'm very proud. And I'm not just proud of what I've achieved. I'm actually proud of being able to achieve that for, obviously, my wife because she's obviously, you know, uh, uh, sacrificed a lot, not being able to work and, and do what she loves, um, which is something that um, I will make sure 100% that knowing what she loves and enjoys to do, she will do that in a few years' time, right? Now she's a mother, she's full-time mum, and she's sacrificing what she doesn't 
you know, she can't do. Her passion is she loves interior design. She loves um, – she's, she's very, very good. Even with, if she was going to be a salesperson, she'd kill it. You know, she's got all the assets that, you know, a salesperson uh, would need. Um, but she's very humble and, and she will tell people the truth in regards to what they want to hear and not what they, you know, want to hear if that what makes yeah, sense, right? What they need to hear rather than yeah, what they want yeah, to correct. hear. Yeah, correct. Yeah, exactly. And she's that type of person. She'll tell them the truth and say, okay, this is what I think will work for you. And and she does that with interior design, right? And sometimes people don't agree with her uh, suggestions, but she'll guide them through that. And, um, and her goal is to be able to do that full time. And for me at the moment, it's it's hard because I know that's what she wants to do, but she's a mum mm-hmm. with two kids and she's sacrificing that. So that's why I'm working my ass off to make sure that, hey, one day when the kids are in school and she can go to work, that maybe I might be able to take some time off, pick up the kids from school full time. Yep. Whatever the case might be, there's little things that will help her be able to make her succeed as well because in, in turn, it's going to be her turn. Yep. Um, it's, it's, it's fair for her to be able to do that, right? Um, and then also my my parents, right? At the end of the day, they sacrifice so much to be able to have me where I am today. I have to give back to them and show them that, right? Yeah, definitely. Um, and they are they are very very proud, and it's it's amazing to to see how proud my parents actually are That's of me as well. Yeah, That's correct. Great. Um, sliding door moments in life, um, you know, if just one thing changes, then everything changes. Yeah, just one little thing uh, in terms of our path, our journey. What decisive event that you can remember, or chance meeting, or person? What single thing? Uh, the the key one, the catalyst. What was the key to changing the course of your life? Look, I wouldn't put it down in a particular event. There's many events I reckon that did. I, I, one of the people that honestly I met was um, the the landlord um, investor that I met during during leasing. I think he's someone that obviously um, you know I, I've dealt with for many many years, and and obviously to this day I speak to very regularly. Right? Um, he was definitely someone that that helped me as well but there's many clients i think that we emotionally connected with um whether or not it was maybe a deceased estate or maybe it was their first home that they purchased um i think there was many little events in a short period of time that then leveraged me out there in the marketplace uh, whether or not it was a great result there was one result you know in my farm patch in hillside that Definitely gave me a leg up, which was um, you know sold while I was away. I was on a, actually on a, on a cruise with my with with Lisa and, and my son Christian. I was only a little boy, and Jim called the auction and it went uh, went off, you know, and everyone knew about it in the area and the estate. And then I started selling all these million dollar properties because of that because of that one result, you know, um, and that probably did give me. A, you know, I help in hand in terms of other, you know, big sales in that local area. Um, but, you know, even that one sale, I, I still had that farm patch, as I mentioned, um, I mentioned to all my clients, uh, all, all my clients, not just clients and also colleagues, that I focused in depth and immersed in, in one suburb. So I knew all the streets, I knew all the homes, I knew all the people that lived there, I knew everything about that area. I focused on helping the schools in that area as well. Um, and, and and that definitely, you know, was one of those sliding moments. But it wasn't just one moment. It wasn't that one person that I met and said, hey, I've got all these listings for you or, hey, I know all these people for you. Or it wasn't a broker. It wasn't a conveyancer. It wasn't anyone that was an, an influence in that local suburb that gave me a leg up. It was just consistently in that period of time that I met all these people. And I think, you know, as you as – you, 
as someone said before, like a, a humble person, but I'm very emotional as well. So some of these deals that, that, that were made, you know, you can't help but shred a tear sometimes, mm. you know. And, and I think people remember that. You're just a human being. Like at the end of the day, I'm a real estate agent. It's my job, but I'm a human being. Um, just on this, on, the, on, the, on this topic of, of, of service and building relationships, we're an, we're an industry uh, as real estate agents is synonymous for pumping our own tires up just, just collectively. You know, we talk about our experience and our sales records and our awards and we sold this, we sold that. We're just, that's just what, we, what we're known for yeah. as an industry. Do you think exceptional customer service, right? This is something that seems to underpin the entire discussion here today. I've heard it multiple times, relationship building, uh, building building uh, customer, uh, strong customer-based customer service, looking out for people, doing the right thing by people. It's all the same topic, right? Do you feel exceptional customer service in our industry of real estate is a severely undervalued element? Yeah, I think people would understand how important customer service is. Um, and for me, that's always been number one, Branko. I think I'll look at it and say, if you think you can't, well, you can get away with not speaking to your client on, on, on a daily or at least, you know, um, well, it has to be daily in my opinion, there's no negotiable. That's what the client wants. They The client wants to know how that their property is traveling. They want to know what you are doing to be able to assist them. Um, so I'll give an example. So there was an auction during this week, for example. Um, the property that I'm selling got an auction this Saturday. It was opened uh, on Tuesday night. And there was an auction in the local area on Wednesday night. They had an in-room auction event. And our, our listing, it's going okay, but it doesn't have five people registered, if that makes sense, right? So it's struggling a little bit. So I said to my vendors, instead of opening just on Tuesday and going to auction on, on Saturday, I'm going to open again for you on the Thursday night, the twilight auction on Wednesday. I'll do it for you Thursday as well. And they really appreciated that because they know that now I'm trying everything I can to get their home sold, right? I could have easily just said, oh, we'll just wait, wait for auction day on Saturday. Now, we're busy with other opens and et cetera and whatnot, but doing that showed them, hey, even though I am busy, I'm going, you know, an extra, the extra little mile to be able to assist them which reassures them that I've done everything possible that on auction day, the result is what it is, if that makes sense. And given that customer service, they'll be able to say, you know what, Andrew, we didn't get the price or we did get the price. We're more than happy to sell, right? Um, and customer service will then always be remembered and say, well, Andrew sold our property. It got a great result or it didn't get a great result, but he always called. So it's not from a lack of trying. A hundred percent. And I strongly believe 100% during the course of the campaign, if you can deliver exceptional service, they will listen to whatever yep. that you have to say. Yep. It's when you slip up, it's because the customer service experience wasn't there. Yeah, I've, I've, I did a bit of shadowing years ago. I went to Canberra uh, to see one of Canberra's dominant agents at the time. His name is Andrew Chamberlain. Um, Andrew took me to some listing presentations, which was he was incredibly gracious, uh, some final inspections and some other appointments. And one of the things he shared with us uh, to his success, he was a volume agent doing incredibly well in that Canberra marketplace. And one of the things at the time he said to us, the market was a bit flat at the time there, but yet he was still writing a lot of business, selling a lot of homes, servicing a lot of clients and connecting people. He did say to me, and I'll never forget it, he said, service sells property in a poor market. Yep. Yeah, uh, and we've been and we've been in a, in a relatively you know poor to easing market for the last you know six twelve months give or take. We're probably still in it at the moment. Uh, I think coming out of it shortly. 
Uh, and it was just it was just one of those seminal moments and, and a learning that I remember, and I'll never forget it uh, because it was such a powerful, just a powerful little phrase. Uh, it was like a light bulb moment that just yep. goes off, and, and all of a sudden you're like, shit, that makes a lot of sense, pretty oh, powerful. It does break up because even when I first started real estate, you know, coming um, you know, into a GFC – and number of buyers were down. Well, at the end of the day, like we're doing open for inspections, no one was rocking up for almost you know six months. Sometimes we have homes on, on the market for a year. Mm. Now, reality is, you can do two things: either try your best to get buyers through the door um, and speak to the vendors um, to at least give them some service, or just forget who they are and never call them until you meet that one buyer. Because mm. you can't expect a vendor in my opinion, or anyone to, you know, get an offer in their property and to then accept that offer if they haven't been informed about how their whole campaign has been structured. No context. There's no, there's nothing, there's no, no there's nothing there. There's, they can't turn around and say, oh, yes, we are going to accept that offer. That offer might be a really strong offer and the agent has, has done a, sub, a superb job negotiating that deal, going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, all these other buyers, but you haven't informed the vendor. You haven't told them exactly what you have done. You're assuming that that vendor is just going to take that offer because you've got them more, in a, more than what they think. There was no like background, you know, context behind how that actually happened. Um, you know, you can't expect a vendor, you know, you do an open for inspection, for example, in their home. You can't expect two, three days later for that vendor to hear from you. I know it sounds silly, but it happens in our business. Mm-hmm. And, and I was obviously known for relationship or customer service, and that's what got me up. Where I am today, hundred percent. Well, that's what I, I see. That's yeah. what I see on your reviews. So, for example, when you post testimonials, or when I see some of your testimonials, when I see some of your reviews on on realestate.com, um, not just you know how they're categor- categorized, you know, professional yeah. and customer, yeah. but the the words that you've indulged and some of the things that you post with the, some of the gifts that you get and the, the lovely handwritten cards, which are super powerful, and people have taken time out of their day yeah. to write for you, uh, really powerful. But the one thing, um, again, one of the reasons why I asked you that question just regarding customer service and is it an undervalued element, and I can clearly see that that's, that's been a, a significant driver for your career, uh, is when I asked Jim a little while back, you know, what do you believe Andrew does incredibly well? What, what skills has he mastered? What things have made him become the agent that he's become? And he said the penny dropped for him. Uh, from the moment that he realised that it's all about people, that it's all about customer service. If you serve the client, you serve the person uh, and do what's in their best interest rather than what's in your best interest. You know, and it goes back to what I was talking about before about, you know, agents beating their chest about sales records and I've done this and I've done that. It's not about us. It's about the client. And Jim indicated to me that once you realised that early in the piece, uh, which was pretty early for you, um, everything changed. Yeah, you can't – look (sighs) – How can I say this without being rude to other agents as well, right? Because reality is we all want to make sure that if we achieve the great result, we all want to beat our chest about it and say, I just got a record result in the local area and et cetera, right? You have to change the word in a little bit and you can't do it all the time. That's the biggest problem with real estate mainly is that you get a sale, you want to you know, pump your chest and tell everyone on social media or in the local area that you achieve that. There's different ways of, of, of doing that, in my opinion. Um, and Jim told me that very quickly. He goes, no one cares, Andrew, that you sold right. 130 properties. No one cares that you wrote $2.5 million in fees or whatever the case might be. They care about how did you help that person purchase that property? How did you help that person sell their home? What was the history behind that, right? 
And if you can demonstrate quickly um, in terms of, okay, how did you get that sale? So for example, you know, um, you deal with a client, you've sold their property and someone calls you and says to, oh, tell us about that result. Oh yeah, we got a record result, blah, blah, blah. They don't care about the record result. They want to, they want to know how did you help that client get that result? How many buyers did you meet that through the through your portfolio inspection of the campaign? What marketing did you do for them? Like the, these are all the little things that they want to know, not about the end result, for example. How did you get that end result was more important. Um, so hence why on my social media, it's, it's really important. And even when I'm speaking to clients, it's very important that I don't beat my chest about all the results that I get. I n- will never consistently say, oh, I was number three in the network. So those little um, awards that I do get, yes, I'll celebrate those wins and tell my clients about the wins and, and obviously say thank you for being able to um, help me towards these these little wins as well. But I don't go about and plaster all billboards mm. and, and et cetera, right? Yeah. Um, you just need to be humble and say, great, we've got a great result uh, or I achieved X amount of sales, but – just don't be arrogant about it at the mm. same time. No, mm. one, no one likes that. It's a fine line, we're, isn't we're it? We're real estate agents as well, right? Mm. And Jim always said to me um, that, Andrew, you got to understand that the money that we're making in our business, sometimes people have to go to school for many, many years to be able to achieve what you achieve in terms of a, a, an income point of view. Um, and he's 100% right. I, I didn't go to school as, as I've touched on. I'm a real estate agent and, and helping people buy and sell property. I'm not going to sit there boasting about, you know, how many sales I, I did per month, how many sales I did per year. I actually find it embarrassing. People ask me all the time. And I want to answer the question because I know that they're going to think about the answer, which is how much money is Andrew making? Because mm. I, I know that's what they're thinking, right? And I don't want them thinking that. I'd rather them thinking, okay, I'm doing well, mm. you know? And I'm not negative. Like if someone asks me, how's the market or how are you traveling this month? I say, yeah, it's going great. I'm, I'm not negative. So, oh, it's going okay. So I don't want to downplay it, yeah, yeah. you know? Because at the end of the day, if you just sit around to someone when they ask you that question and say, oh, Andrew, how's the market? Or how are you going this month and et cetera? You want to make sure that, hey, yeah, it's going very, very, very well, right? But there's a fine line of saying, yeah, I just smashed it. I made 15 sales this month. I wrote you know, $150,000 in commission. They didn't ask you that question as much as they probably want to know, you know, how well you did. The question is you can answer it differently in a way that you're not arrogant, but you're still making sure that they know that you're doing well because obviously you want to make sure that they've got confidence in in your ability. ability. Um, You mentioned social media. We just touched on it a second ago. Um, You're super active in that, in that space, clearly. Um, I'd love to just dissect for a moment, just some of the strategy and the thought process behind it. Uh, ask you the question firstly have you worked with uh, is it just you that drives that or have you worked with an uh, I don't know media agency marketing agency social media specialist I don't know whatever you want to call it uh, to help you with a bit of a strategy to sort of roll that out there was no strategy behind it at the start because not many people were doing yep. what I was doing apart from listening to Tom Panos videos and etc back in the day and I still listen to Tom he's, he's a fantastic real estate coach um, especially for those that are just beginning in their career um, I've jumped on since day dot me and Jim were, were the first probably ones in real estate agents to you know speak with with Tom and to I mean since day dot real estate coach is, is Jim I've been there since day dot so mm. that has never changed and and not that I listen to it on a daily basis um, but you will still tune in because you can always learn right but the early days um, it was always about video right so no one was doing video. Even when I first started real estate, like no one was doing any property video. And I jumped on immediately on that because I thought, okay, well, if that's working, let's jump on it. And I always thought, let's be the first one to do it because if you're the first one, well, then people look at you and say, yeah. you're the expert, right? No one else is doing video. 
And we used to do videos and say, hi, welcome to XYZ property, the property offers, you know, this and that. I don't do that anymore because that's what everyone else does. So I've stopped doing property video and have me involved because at the start, it was obviously me in the video and I want people to see who I was. But then I quickly realized people already know who I am. That's right. How many times can I say, hi, my name's Andrew Kalu, I was from Barrier Plant Real Estate and welcome to, you know, 123 Smith Street. They got over that. Mm-hmm. And Jim was the one that actually, you know, pulled me up and said, I think you should, you know, basically slow down on that, right? And just focus more so on the property itself versus you because they already know who you are, Andrew, right? Um, and then obviously social media came about, and then, came about and then obviously Tom again, he was on social media and he always spoke about, you know, um, you know, 30 second, you know, videos in terms of, you know, how the market's performing, et cetera. I just mm. winged it. Honestly, I just did it in a way that it wasn't too much information overload, overload about myself. It was more so about the market and what, how the market was performing. Social media to me was about, Obviously, what a lot of agents do well these days, which is fantastic to see, um, is that they'll go on social media and say, listen, we just sold this property and we've got five people that missed out and et cetera. But generally mean that, you know, um, you have to it's be- It's got to be authentic. It has yeah. to be authentic, yeah. right? Yeah. So what I then realized was I wouldn't just post about just sold and just listed because there was other uh, media coaches that I followed that said, stop doing that. Because in the early days, it was all about just listed, just sold, because there's nothing really else to put on mm. there, right? It was very hard to get data. So I started getting data yeah. off RP data because I had really good market insights. So I spoke about that. And on my newsfeed, um, my social media page, it was it was mixed now. It was no longer just listed, just sold, just listed, just sold. Started to put testimonials on there. Started to do video testimonials, my vendors, which I think still work brilliantly today. Um, because if you can get your vendors to speak um, about you um, is very powerful. I learned quickly how to target um, on social media. Uh, I, I, I very quickly realized that on social media, you can't just press the boost button. You got to go in the back end and yeah. download ads manager and, and, and do through, you know, your targeting through there. But I never focused on specifics. I never focused on, you know, a demographic of person that just wanted to, to sell, for example. Mm. So, you know, through back in the real estate, um, through ads manager, you can turn, you know, choose uh, real estate, for example. I never did that. I just focused on engagement. I focused on spending money on people um, engaging with my with my post, um, and it was broad. So I did it in a, um, a circular area that I wanted to focus on. So it was nothing more than three, um, three miles. So that's how Facebook works it out. Um, I never did anything um, a bigger area than that because, again, I got taught to focus on a patch. Yeah. So I anything I boosted was always local. And then because I was the only agent doing it in my area, well, then therefore people just consistently always saw my face. Mm. So go back to my early stages, you look at the local paper and it was just Andrew. Yeah. And, you know, I still remember my mum and my dad being so proud because they can only see Andrew in the local paper. Good. Until local paper became extinct and said, where are you? I go, no, everything's social media now, mum and dad. You know, everything's social media, mum and dad. And um, I think it's probably why dad created the Facebook account, to be honest, just to see what I was actually doing. <laughs> keep, um, keep, keep, keep tabs track on, with me, keep right? Tabs. And um, so everything became fo- social media mm. and you had to invest, right? And, and were you investing at uh, this time uh, sort of three to four grand a month? Oh, for, easy. Uh, on, on, what was it, on Facebook ads? Yeah, on, Facebook. Um, so what, what, was the, what was the goal? Was it just uh, data capture? Was it no, le- leads? No. Was it, what was the, or was it, it was just branding and exposure for you? 
I never did any lead capsule lead, um, uh, boost post. Never did that. Uh, obviously, there's an option there to capture leads, and I learned how to do that. So I learned how to actually uh, be able to boost a post to be able to get someone to go into a funnel, if that makes sense, mm-hmm. and to then retarget those people. So I know how to do that. that yeah. That's not an issue for me to do. Um, again, you can learn that through YouTube and whatnot. And I spent a lot of time um, and, 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 and not energy, but just time on on basically learning YouTube. Mm-hmm. And then I looked at it and said, well, I don't really struggle for leads per se. Obviously, you want more leads. But the problem I quickly found out by listening to other agents, I'm getting leads, but they were all not qualified yep. leads. They were all just, oh, yeah, give me an appraisal. Um, give me a market update. Send me a, a report. And that's great, I think, when you are trying to to build into a, a local area. For me, though, my issue wasn't um, getting leads. It was more so making sure that people knew who I was for the right reasons, right? Yeah. What was Andrew doing different to the other agents, right? And making sure people knew that, right? Making people sh- uh, know that, okay, this is how these vendors felt about Andrew's experience. Got it. And therefore, they created leads because they were seeing me in their letterbox. Because obviously, letterbox drops was there. I was never a big door knocker. I never door knocked in my life because it never worked for me. I was better on the phones and door knocking. But some people are better than door knocking than on the phone. So it depends on who you are. Um, but I've mainly focused my time and energy and money on letterbox drops and and social media. And then, right. um, and years go on, you have to change that. And I changed that by, as you mentioned uh, now, Branko, that I want people to know who I am now, right? So um, I think with with having a wife and, and now two, two, two children, I want people to say, okay, well, I'm a real estate agent. I'm doing well. I'm very lucky to be able to have you, uh, my, my support and my raving fans help me to where I am today. But for those people that don't know who I am, this is who Andrew is. Mm. And, and branding, and branding, which, which is essentially – fundamental idea behind it like like mcdonald's like coca-cola you don't go and eat mcdonald's every single day you don't go and eat uh, or drink coca-cola every single day but they are the biggest marketers in the world yep and you'd argue the point that they need to market the least because everybody knows who they are and what they're about but it's just a subliminal messaging behind it that when you're hungry when you're thirsty it's about what am i thinking of where do i want to eat bang guess what comes to mind like it or loathe it yep. that's what comes to mind so like we always say, uh, you don't need an estate agent until you need one. Yep. Um, nobody needs an estate agent every single day unless you're a developer or someone that's in the in the in the game yep. um, regularly. But uh, at the same time, you want to know that when they are thinking of an estate agent, they think of Andrew because Andrew's added value along the way uh, in a in a non-invasive, uh, yep. in a professional, in a personalised, in a personable manner on a consistent basis. He hasn't asked for anything in return we can clearly see demonstrated performance through other clients loving what he does, kind words, testimonials, industry colleagues. Let's give him a call. It's 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 really important. You know what? Sometimes even for my own self, I, I love doing it because, you know, um, for example, I change my voicemail every day um, and people say, why do you change your voicemail every day? Reason behind it is because I know now every morning I have to change my voicemail every morning before someone else calls me. Keeps right? you accountable to yourself. A hundred percent, right? So I change my voicemail every morning because I know that, hey, it's one thing that I'm going to do every single morning and I can't can't stop doing that now, right? Because every morning someone calls me and says, hi, it's Andrew from Barry Plan and thank you for calling me on Friday, the second of whatever it is. And right? it's no different to those regular posts on yep. social media, your updates, whether they're in the car or from the foyer of the office, um, yep. not foyer, the reception area yep. of the office, um, and just updates throughout 
uh, consistent social media messaging or back in the day newspaper advertising or, or, or social boosts or whatever it might be. It's exactly the same sort of thing. The consistency and the frequency uh, is what's key rather than the, the, the specific messaging that you're yeah, putting correct. out. Yeah. Uh, people just seeing your face regularly. Um, Sundays, uh, I noticed that's the day you do your half marathon running, <laughs> your training. Um, you're loving it by the sounds of it. Um, and I, I saw one of your last ones, an hour 37. Is that pretty good? Yeah, I'm pretty happy about that. Is that, uh, is that pretty quick? I think it is, I, isn't it? I think it is, yeah. Look, running to me now is just another challenge um, for me to be able to do something different that I have to work harder now for because, uh, again, we all go through a stage of a life where it becomes a bit boring per se, right? You wake up in the morning, go to the gym, you train, and it is what it is. It's, yeah. a, it's Groundhog Day every day. And I don't, I don't mind it. I've done it for such a long time, but then I just got bored and I just thought – I need to do something different. And, 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 and COVID, again, like many people say, it was a blessing in disguise, so to speak, right? Like one, my daughter was born during COVID. So I spent so much time with my, my beautiful daughter and, and the connection that we have now because of spending so much time at home with her is unbelievable. Now, I didn't have the same connection with my son, Christian. Like, obviously, now we spend a lot of time together. I, many people know I do Ice Cream Fridays. Ice Cream Fridays. Yeah, Ice Cream Fridays. Is, great. I've done that since he, he was he was in, in kinder, right? Um, and it's just something like me and Christian do, but it was the only day that I could actually spend time with him. You know, Saturdays we worked full time and I got home and I'm exhausted. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, you're out on the road, you're working late, and even Fridays – was late as well, but then I'm like, you know what? No, I, I spoke to, it was Theo actually, Politis that I spoke to and he doesn't work Fridays. And I'm like, well, if he can, I can too. Yeah, but I felt bad because I felt that clients would call me and I wasn't at the office. You don't have to be at the office every single day. Certainly not in today's day and age. No, correct, right? And um, so I started taking, you know, half days on <laughs> Friday off and then made a commitment to pick up Christian from school, kinder, et cetera. And, and I, I really believe he really appreciated that. He wakes up every single day. I can tell you now, and on Friday, he's pumped. You know what I mean? If I tell Christian I'm not picking up from school, he's like, <laughs> he goes, Dad, you're joking. Like, I'm picking up from school. And I'm like, Christian, I can't. I'm working late. And he literally, he, he would not be very happy. He'd probably call the client and say, listen, my dad's got ice cream Friday. And he, and, 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 he, and he talks like that, right? So he's, my son's very confident. He's, he's, he'll probably become a salesperson himself one day. He loves talking. He loves to chat. And he's not embarrassed about anything, right? And that's just him being the car with me, right? He's just obviously adapted to me. And, you know, like Christian now, he talks about real estate, talks about property. It's funny the way he talks. But, uh, but yeah, so now Sunday's, you know, in terms of training for a marathon, obviously a half marathon, it's now a goal for me. So now I know they've got the Nike Melbourne Marathon. I've got, you know, 137 days left to be able to train for that day. And um, now I'm training to be able to make sure that I can, you know, not just run the distance, but do it in a good time. I'm 33 years old. Can I be a very good 33-year-old runner? I've got no idea what even that looks like, but I know, you know, by looking at social media, by other people running and learning how they've done it and what what training they have to do on a daily basis to be able to perform at a high um, high level because running takes a toll on you, right? So, you know, my wife is now sick of me buying how many shoes because I'm trialing all these shoes to be see to see what's compatible with my body because I'm 90 kilos, right? So I'm not a light runner. So I'm not 75 kilos or 60 kilo and whatnot. Like I'm 90 kilos and, and shoes will wear out yeah. quite, quite a fair bit. And I'm the type of person, as I said before, if I do it, I'm going to do it properly. And then it's about making sure you look after your body. So no alcohol, 
you know, your daily stretches and, and all the rest of it to be able to make sure that when I do do the half marathon in, in October, that I've performed at my absolute best. Hopefully I don't get injured, obviously, in the meantime because you can't obviously avoid that. But that's now my goal and, and I actually love it. I love knowing and my wife hates it because um, even this Saturday we've got an event on and I go, well, we can't. Go, I want to run on Sunday. And she goes, what? <laughs> and, and, and and that's just what it is. It's, but it's, like but not, it's another goal to look yeah, forward to though, it's right? It's non-negotiable, right? It's another something yeah. to, to strive towards to achieve yeah. and, and those incremental gains, yeah. those marginal gains day by day, week by week are getting to that eventual goal. It's yeah. in November, I think, the run, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, October, October, something yeah, like that yeah. at the end and, of the year. Um, and you know, now it's about knowing that I can't afford to drink alcohol. Mm. It's another a way to say, no, I can't do that. Mm. I can't afford to do this. Or, you know, sometimes you turn around and say, well, I'm not really training for anything. Mm. So, you know, by doing this, oh, it's fine because, you know, I don't have really anything that I should be concerned about drinking alcohol or having a big night and et cetera. I don't have any big nights because I can't afford to do that because I can tell you now that I won't miss a day of training purely because now I know I won't be able to perform my best if I do. Because those choices yeah. don't support the goals you're trying nah, to achieve. Not going to happen. Um, do you have a coach, like a real estate coach? Uh, have you ever had a coach, and do you have one currently? Uh, I don't have a coach. I, obviously, Tom Panos is the only real real estate coach I listen to, and Josh Vegan is a ma- uh, is, is 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 fantastic. I, I read his emails every day. I think he's probably the best. When I say coach, obviously Tom and Josh are very, very different, um, but I can probably relate to Josh a, a lot more in terms of how he talks. And but then they're not real coaches. I don't speak to them on a daily yeah, basis. not your right? direct coach. Yeah, yeah. you're not yeah. a direct coach. Whereas, again, like someone like, like Jim is obviously my, my coach. I, I speak to him on a daily basis. Mm. We speak to each other. If we're not in the office together, we speak to each other on the yeah. phone together. Um, and then he's, he's my, real, my real coach. And then obviously I've got my wife as well. And I can tell you now that if I have issues with real estate, I can easily speak to my wife, Lisa, and tell her my challenges. And, and sometimes she'll be able to help me through those as well. At the end of the day, we're very lucky we've bought and sold property before. So as a consumer, she understands what it's like um, you know, to be uh, in a position of buying and, and selling, so to speak, right? And, um, and, and sometimes she'll, she'll, she'll help me out as well if I, if I get stuck with anything. And he, you know, post on social media, she'll read through them um, because obviously, you know, again, my English is not that great. So, you know, I can't just put something on social media without double-checking that. I can't double-check it because I'll get it wrong. So I'll give it to Lisa or I'll send it to Jim. You know, so till this day, I won't put any post on um, if it's an informative post um, without double checking the spelling, grammar, etc. So you got proofreaders. I, I like proofreaders. it. <laughs> but my early posts are the ones that I do, for example, on a weekend that is me talking about the market, um, like doing a wrap up or something in the morning. That's just me because if I make a spelling mistake, or if I say something incorrectly, well, that's just who I am. Um, it's raw and that's what it is, if that makes sense, right? I like um, that. But if it's anything to do with property posts, so if I'm putting a property on online um, in regards to the ad description, et cetera, especially on my social media, again, everything on social media is controlled by me. I don't have that outsourced, every single ad that you see on my face, Facebook, it's all me. So I do all that, yeah. not because I'm a control freak, it's just I like to do it and I don't do it during business hours. So I don't do any social media activity between hours that I know someone will be awake to answer a phone call. Got it. So if it's social media, I'll either do it very early in the morning, so it'll be at five in the morning or six in the morning, but it'll be also in the evening, so something about 9, 9.30. Mm. But I know that it's not time to do social media posts between work hours. Yeah. It's not the time to yeah. do it. 
So that's delegating, you know, that social media point. And I, I enjoy it. I think it's it's fun. And I think my vendors like that I'm doing it as well, personally, myself. And I tell my vendors, I do it. I show them exactly what I do on social media. I show them the back end of my social media. I show them my audience. I show them the stats. And it helps you list properly. 100%. As well. It gives them confidence. Um, I normally, and one of my favorite parts of these podcasts is asking people directly about mentors, influencers, the guiding lights, people that have held their hand through the process. But we've spoken that spoken about that at length today um you know and i always say like sitting at the feet of a mentor you know soaking in their wisdom um for me i'm a bit of a nerd when it comes to that sort of stuff i i love it so much and there's not too many places i'd rather be than than that sort of space um where do you think you'd be without those guides without that mentorship without that help how far along do you think you would have been able to come yourself just with your drive and your grit and how fucking bad you want it? How much extra do you reckon those mentors have helped you? The lasses of the world, the gym hatsmosis of the world, um, all your colleagues in the group, out of the group, people that are other business-minded, people that are not in real estate. How much have they influenced your career directly? No, I, th- I think a lot. Um, I think really – you know, I've had chances and plenty of people reached out to say, Andrew, are you going to venture on your own, et cetera, and whatnot? And it was never about me not having the ability to do so. Um, I always knew if I wanted to, I, I could have. Um, and I thought about it many, many times, as any person would, right? You know, I think you, you you owe it to yourself to think, oh, should you, shouldn't you, and et cetera. But again, from humble beginnings and, and, and knowing what my dad taught me in my early years about loyalty and respect – and, you know, Jim and Lass, uh, but obviously Jim, um, the amount of work and time and probably monetary effort that he put into me, if I went on my own, I actually would feel um, disrespectful to him. Um, and I felt that he, you know, how can I say this, like, he just trusted my ability and he knew that this is who I was. And he said, I'm going to put everything I can into this person, even though obviously we had other colleagues there and et cetera. Um, but he, he did a lot of, a lot for me, he guided through me, through buying my first home, you know, through monitoring me through, you know, difficult situations in terms of, you know, with clients and questions and, you know, we all stuffed up and um, make mistakes and he was there to, to back me up with whatever the situation was. So he he did all that. So it was never going to happen. I was never going to venture on my own purely and simply because of my loyalty to, to the business. Um, and then having obviously, you know, seen other agents in, in, in our office leave and, and go elsewhere and start, you know, their companies and it just didn't work out because they did it for them. Mm. You know, they try to say, well, I want to do it for me. I want everyone to know that it was my business, you know. And, and I looked at it and say, well, yeah, I can have an Andrew Clause's real estate but I could do that within the Barrier Plant Network and within my local area, working with Jim and becoming a partner with with, with the guys as well, right? And um, I, I, that's the main reason why I, I basically stayed mm-hmm. and having the support of them guiding through my early days, especially, you know, I was doing well in my 20s and I could have easily gone and bought whatever I wanted to in terms of cars or whatever, but I had so many other things that I had to commit to, whereas with with obviously my wife not working, having obviously a, a son and then then a daughter, then I had to 
look for fees and all these things, expenses. And I think I allowed my wife to be able to send all, you know, my kids to, you know, a, a great kindergarten and, and, and it cost a lot of money to do so because then I had to work for something as well. So I had all these kind of, you know, things coming out that I was like, well, I still have to work. I couldn't just slow down. Yeah, yeah. So accountability was there and and having all, obviously all these mentors and, and guide me through um, the good times, the bad times and saying, okay, well, okay, this is where you're at the moment. The next level is this uh, and making me accountable. Um, that definitely, definitely helped me become where I am today and, and just making me level headed. And there has been stages in everyone's career where you're doing very, very well and think, mate, I'm pretty good at what I do, mm. and it's very easy to to turn around and say, "No, nah, I'm the I'm the boss, and mm. everyone needs to listen yeah. to me." Yeah. But you have to change that very, very quickly mm. and say, "You know what? No, this is not who you are. Just be yourself, and remember where you came from." If that makes sense, yeah, right? Absolutely. Keep the feet uh, on the ground. A hundred percent. And um, it's very easy to to veer off, um, but I think you know both Lass and Jim. Um, and John Aaron as well, but again, John Aaron was working for St Albans, so I never spoke to John directly in those in those situations. Um, so there's no disrespect to John; it's just I, I never spoke to him in length of those details. But Jim and Lars both came from humble beginnings, so they didn't have anything spewed from them, spewed uh, fed for them. So everything they worked for, they did themselves. So you know, Lars even going through a divorce, he had a beautiful home, beautiful cars, great business, lost it, got into real estate, did it again. You know, Jim, you know, obviously his parents were migrants. He did everything he can for himself, grew the business. That was all him. So having those guys there to, you know, consider what they went through, well, then I I had no way to fail because unless I did it myself, hmm. I I was only going to fail if I didn't listen yeah. and and in, and um, kind of respect what they went through because really look what they went through and look what they achieved and and, and, and how they achieved it with the tools that they had, which is nowhere near the tools that we have today. Uh, and they were able to do that. How can Jim make a hundred sales a year in the early stage of real estate with no mobile phone, no emails, but he's still listed and sold a hundred houses or whatever the case might be. That's, that's a ridiculous amount of property to transact. It's crazy perspective, without, isn't it? A hundred percent without having those tools. So I kind of always reflected back to how, how they um, operated and said to myself, well, oh, no excuse. And, and that's why I try mental today. With everyone that I speak to, I say, guys, you really, really have no excuses. You have no idea mm. um, what it was like to, to do all, all this real estate um, back, you know, 15, 10, five years ago even, if that makes sense. Now you have all the tools in front of you, but don't let those tools interfere with what real estate is. And I – everyone knows this about me. It's probably one thing that is, is probably, you know, my – people's pet hate about me i'm really i really get annoyed about you know um a space of having all these tools but don't use it because mm-hmm. it interferes with the fundamentals yep. which is picking up the phone and calling people there's so many people that will now use technology and think that technology is going to list and sell property and build relationships it's not there to do that it's there to assist you to make your day easier or whatever the case might be. But you can't expect to put a buyer in a database and then that buyer to buy a home within that database. And there's agents out there that do that. They'll focus their time and energy in doing that, but it's never going to work. No. Um, and, and and that's probably, again, what has made, made me be a bit lucky because they've taught me that. My mentors have told me, you know, Jim and, and Lass have taught me 
that's not going to create you sales. It's going to be there, but it's not there to, to, to get buyers through yeah. property and et cetera. Right. And, um, and they always kept me level headed in, in that, in that, in that way to say, listen, just contract the fundamentals and you'll be fine. And then, you know, in, in the years, obviously moving forward now, like now it's time to, to give back, right? Like, yeah, me and Jim always talk about obviously what we can do to get better. And hence why we did a lot of the videos and, and, and so forth. Um, and that happened a lot during COVID. Uh, that was really, really fun. Uh, and someone like Lass obviously is older, right? So it's hard for him to develop those skills. But, you know, it's great to see even someone like him trying to, to learn, right? Um, and you to always try and help as much as you can. But sometimes, again, you can do what you do and someone else can copy it, but they can't copy it. They just can't do that, right? So you got to work, find what works for you. Um, and I've been very, very lucky to have those guys just keep me level-headed and, um, yeah, and especially my wife as well. Like she... You know, you know, to have a supportive wife, they're the ones that say, "Listen, you're off track. Just get get back to what you do." And um, yeah, yeah, it's 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 good to have those kind of people back back you up, mate. We've covered a lot of ground today. Um, we'll wind it down, and I just want to sort of um, uh, just ask you one one last question, I guess. When you started this whole journey, um, how long have you been in it now? Thirteen years, twelve years, yeah, thirteen, 13, 13 yeah. years. So, thirteen years as a state agent. When you started this journey, did you? Ever, did it ever cross your mind where you thought you'd reach the the heights or levels of achievement or performance that you've achieved now? Was it, or was it something that you always said? And while you're not, you don't look at the numbers per se and whatever else, but was it something that you said, "Yeah, I can do this no matter what"? Um, yeah, look, I, I always knew from um, support that I had and my work ethic and drive, I was going to do it. And I always wanted to give back. And the one person I wanted to give back was my, my was my dad. And um, is he the person that planted that seed in, of inspiration? Hundred percent. Yeah. And um, you know, a couple of years ago, um, you know, my, my dad, um, he's always had vintage cars from Cyprus and etc. And um, and financially, as you know, my parents, um, you know, they they only had one home. It was just their home in St Albans. And then they went went and built a new home um, um, out out in Aintree in in the Melton Estate, et cetera, because, again, that's what they could afford. They could only sell their home for 600000 They couldn't go and buy, you know, in a better suburb. But my mum, it was just time for them to to move on. And I touched on you, obviously, you know, what I went through as a teenager with, you know, seeing the community of St Albans change from – you know, from the Europeans to the the Chinese, Vietnamese, and then the Sudanese and and, and seeing – you know what it was like living in that neighborhood and and seeing what i saw was like it was ridiculous you know some of the stuff you want to hear on the news because it just wouldn't make the news if that makes sense right and, and that was scary and and, and my, my dad um as i mentioned um off off air was just hard-headed he was never going to leave he was always going to die in his home in Albans. that was it he bought this home he extended the home that's what he's that's what he lived for it was his home that was it no one was going to take his fruit trees away from him and there was nothing stopping him um, stopping him from um, from moving and and then obviously Tom had to they had to move you know obviously the era it was just it was just not safe anymore my my dad was working still obviously my mum was obviously working because um, my mum had an operation on her heart and she couldn't work anymore so it was just she's it was non-negotiable so even the day a day after she came in hospital she started cleaning the house because that's that's my mum she just um, a typical wall the house was had to be clean and she had a she had a 14-hour heart operation. They, you know, open heart surgery. 
you know, and my mum and dad almost got divorced. My dad said, I can't put up with you anymore because you're always cleaning. You just go to the hospital, just take it easy. And my mum's there with the mop, clean the house. And it's like, mum, what are you doing to yourself, you know? That was only a kid in, in, in high school. I remember that. I, I still remember the 14-hour, the 15-hour operation that my mum had at the hospital. And I didn't know what was happening to my mum. I had no idea at that stage that my mum almost died because of, of that operation because she had a blockage in a, in a, in a valve, in her in heart, um, and um, she had to have heart, open heart surgery. And that happened in in a minute. Basically, she was okay one second Next minute, she's, you know, having open heart surgery and she's almost dead, basically, right? And and basically, she, she was okay. She recovered and obviously, she never worked since since that day and because uh, she had to take it easy. And then, obviously, dad had to support and they finally moved. Anyway, so cut long story short, my dad, you know, grew up in Cyprus. He always collected vintage cars, always had vintage cars and, and he wanted this vintage car. And, and it was only, it's very hard to find, uh, but there was only a few of them in Australia, but he found this one after, I don't know how many years of work, uh, searching for a 15, 20 years. And it was his, um, it was dad's car in Cyprus, one of the same models, right? Don't, don't know exactly what it is. Again, I'm on the cars, never focused anything, my time on the cars. But he called me, he goes, Andrew, he goes, I need to get this car found. It was in Shepparton and Wayne. He goes, can you call the guy and, and tell him, listen, we'll, we'll, we'll get it, you know, we'll get the car and we'll ship it to, to um to home. I go, where is the car, Dad? And he goes, Oh, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go get it. He goes, I go, where is it? He goes, it's Shepparton. I go, Dad, you're not gonna drive all the way to Shepparton. I said, get the car and, and bring it home. Because my dad would do that. He'll go by himself, you know, tow it all the way home. But it's not safe, you know what I mean? Like my dad's in his 60s, 65, 66, retired. It was I was not gonna let him do that, right? Because he didn't want to pay the money for the guy <laughs> to deliver it to his house. Anyway. So basically, uh, my dad called me, gave me the guy's number, and um, the guy goes, oh, um, okay, with the car? He goes, it's in Shepparton. I go, okay, can you deliver it? And he goes, oh, look, it's going to cost you you know, a few hundred dollars, whatever. He goes, that, that's fine. I said, how much is the car? He goes, it's a few thousand dollars, whatever it was. And I said, no problems at all. I said, can you deliver it today? And he goes, yeah. I said, no problems at all. He goes, I'll get the guy to, to deliver it to, to the house. He goes, where does he live? He goes, in Melton, and he goes, oh, okay. He goes, it's a bit far. I go, that's fine. He goes, just, I said, my dad wants his car. I said, just let me know what needs to be done, and we'll get it for dad. Call my dad. I said, dad, the car's sold. And my dad goes, what do you mean it's sold? I said, dad, it's sold. Someone bought it. He goes, he goes what? And, and and he goes, I goes, my dad, well, I don't know, dad. I said, the guy said to me, it's not not there anymore. And I said, it's it's just not there. I said, I don't know what to tell you. And he goes, and it was obviously pretty emotional about it, right? I said, that it is what it is. I said, let me know if you need anything else. And that was it. There was a conversation just basically ended, right? And um, so I got the car and I shipped it to my dad. And um, I said to my dad, I said, dad, I'm going to come home. I said, I'm come and see you. And dad lived 45 minutes away. So it wasn't a, I wasn't there all the time. And that's the reason why now finally I convinced my dad to move closer to us. But at that stage, it was always hard to go and see mom and dad, kids, you know, and, 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 and that's probably one Thing I didn't like not be able to see mum and dad as much as I, I wanted to, but obviously you got family, kids, commitments, and, and etc. Right? So I said, Dad, I'm coming over, and he's like, Yeah, you're coming over. Like, you know, it's obviously sometimes sus. Like, you're just coming over for no reason, right? Normally we make it like pre arrangements so we go see mum and dad, right? I never just drop in, but he didn't take notice of it. And um, I met the guy. Um, he was, um, you know, getting the car towed to my dad's house. I met him down in Melton Way and I said to him, listen, just follow me and, and then he was at the end of the court. 
I said, Dad, come outside, you know, come outside. And um, I went obviously first and the guy a few minutes later, you know, started driving uh, or towing the car to my dad. My dad saw the car and he just burst into tears, right? And I said to myself, you know, this is the reasons why financially and what I do to be able to allow to give back to my parents, right? And whatever I can do to be able to help my mum and dad or any of my family members is the reason why is a driving factor, right? And to see my dad that way and so emotional, like that is like as a son, like the best feeling in the world that you could ever, ever get. Um, and I look at it now and my dad from that moment, honestly, like my dad and and and, and me, you know, obviously we never had a, a, a great close relationship because my dad was always working, so I never saw him that often. Spoke to my mum obviously all the time, etc. But me and my dad were never too close. Even though through soccer, he was the watch the games, etc. But he was just always so hard headed, and you could never just speak to him. But from that moment, and he could see what I was achieving and and what I actually was doing with my money and and giving back to him, etc. And I wasn't just now a punk kid that did well and thought I was, you know, top shit because my dad always didn't like those type of people, right? He always said, well, you know, that's what my son dad did for me, right? And, um, you know, his words and his messages, he's never expressed himself that way in his life. And to to be able to express himself that way to me was like the most amazing feeling in the world. Um, and even to my wife, Lisa, she, she could see how he just kind of, you know, melted, right? And it was, it was beautiful to see. And that this, that's just amazing to be able to give back to your parents and it's always a, a, a heart, heart-moving uh, thing to, to always reflect back on. And it, um, it tells, uh, I think, a lot about you as not just as an estate agent and what you do but who you are. And as, I, as I keep saying to people, uh, people that come on this podcast, the idea is to get on people who are incredibly good at what you do. Um, naturally, you are, but also to get to know the person behind um, – yeah, I guess the estate agent uh, that is Andrew, and I think today you've demonstrated really well uh, from a family perspective, uh, mum and dad, the upbringing, uh, the hard work, the tenacity, the discipline, um, you know, the, the determination, the passion, uh, and then that of also um, your wife, your beautiful kids, uh, and who you've become and who you're striving still to become as a, as a young man. You're only 33. Um, as I always say, lots of work life ahead of you. Uh, you've got fabulous people around you that are guiding you. You are clearly, as I read out before, an inspiration to many people that are around you currently. Um, and, and, you know, like like I just said, you know, did you ever think it was going to cross your mind? And you always got to ask yourself, and I'm, I'm sure you did, you know, why not me? Yeah, 100%. Why not me? I'm, I'm just a humble Greek kid from, uh, Cyprian kid from, you know, the western suburbs. I work hard. Yep. I've got a dream and I can make it happen. Uh, look what you've achieved in, you know, five years, then 10 years, then 13 years. You've got to be excited at what's ahead. And, mate, I can tell you one thing. I would fucking hate to be one of your competitors. <laughs> uh, Andrew, this has been an absolute thrill. Uh, I just want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for uh, for coming on board and being a guest um, on uh, this humble little podcast. Mate, thanks so much. I really, really appreciate your time. Nah, thank you, Rekka, as well. And uh, to those people that did say those uh, nice words, I, I really appreciate it and thank you very much. Ladies and gentlemen, Andrew Kulosos.